Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the good news for the Jazz is they got another game tonight. The bad news for the Jazz is they played horribly and lost a completely winnable game. A completely winnable game to the Washington Wizards. Wizards are one of the five worst teams in the NBA, 11 games under 500, on a five-game losing streak, losers of seven of the last eight, playing back-to-back after losing to the Sacramento Kings of the buzzer. And the Jazz spotted them a 10-point lead in the middle of the first quarter. Got down by as many as 24, never got closer than seven the rest of the way. They were within eight in the third quarter. They had a chance to, to go back into the game, take the lead, and, but they didn't. They gave up a big run. They went down 18. And they got it down to seven in the fourth quarter, and they end up losing. Too many turnovers, too many offensive rebounds, too many missed free throws, too many guys shooting the ball poor. I mean, the list goes on and on. But defensively, you, just, you can't give up 131 points. You cannot give up 131 points and be a serious playoff contender. Not championship contender, playoff contender in the NBA. Playoff teams don't routinely do that. The Jazz are now 2-6 and six when they give up 120 points or more. When they decide to defend and handle the ball, they're 27-5 and five when they hold teams under 120. It's not a very high bar to clear. But the Jazz struggle to clear it. And when they do, they get beat. All right, we got the best of the postgame show coming up. But right now, for you youth football fans, we started off with Morgan Scally. Here's Morgan Scally, Utah defensive coordinator with Ute Spring Football underway. Hey, so obviously going into fall camp last year, uh, the defense was the, the big focus of, of a lot of, of the attention on the team. And, and the defense did really well in, in fall. What do you feel like uh, you guys need to do to, to move forward now in spring? Well, I think the biggest thing is we've got to get back to a little bit more to, you know, who we are in terms of coverage. We're a man coverage team. Last year when we were going through those uh, phases of getting into fall camp, we weren't really allowed to, to play press man uh, because of the rules and regulations. And so now um, that we are, we've got the protocols in place. We're, we're, you know, we got to teach our guys man coverage and, and uh, get better at press man. And our guys are doing that. So we were a lot more of a zone coverage team last year. And uh, I believe we got better at our zone coverage ability, but um, we're a man team and that's where we've been able to make our plays and get sacks and, and uh, get disruptive. So uh, getting back into man coverage is a big deal for us. Following up on that real quick, but you've obviously introduced some zone coverage over the years, so it's not like it's it's a, a new territory to you. But how hard is it to to have to adapt to that as a full time model instead of of the that man coverage like you were speaking of? Uh, not too difficult because again, we have it in our in our package. It's just you know we we spend the majority of our reps uh, playing man coverage. Uh, a lot of our pressures are married to man coverage. Um, it's just something that last year we, we upped the dose of our zone and zone pressures. So, uh, getting kind of back to who we are, uh, has been a, a nice, I guess change is maybe not the, the best word, but it is, it is based on what we did last year. We'll go now to Trevor Allen, followed by Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune. Hey Morgan, um, I just, I was curious about the cornerbacks. Uh, you, you got, you guys moved Kane Savage over to, to wide receiver at least during spring and you know obvious you know how 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 deep are you at corner um for you to be able to make that move well we were also able to move zamaya vaughn uh who was a free safety for us last year moved him to corner so we have the bodies there we have the guys that we feel have the the ability 
the speed, the the athleticism to play the corner position. And obviously we're about uh, winning football and that's team football. So whether that's an offensive player coming to defense or a defensive player going to offense, it's all about getting our best guys on the field. And uh, Kane, it was a very good wide receiver in high school. Is gonna gonna add some some speed and athleticism to, to what the offense is doing. So that was a no brainer. And again, we love the guys that we have at the corner position. You know, um, Clark Phillips, Malone Mataele, JT Broughton. Uh, you know, the the other guys behind them that are making strides, Fabian Marks, who uh, made some plays last year in the five games that, that, that we had there. Zamaya Vaughn, his length and speed adds, adds to what we're doing. Kenzel Lawler's making progress, so we do. We have the guys that, you know, we feel we can develop uh, into those roles, and we're excited to, to continue. We'll go next to Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Morgan. Um, when last season started, R.J. Hubert, you know, was having, I guess, a bit of trouble trying to get all the way back from the injury. Um, you know, he played he played some last season. But as you, as you go into the spring now, can you kind of update us maybe on where he is and just how he's looking so far? You bet. Yeah, R.J. was was very uh, unselfish in what he gave us last year. He was not 100 percent. He was not right. With his knee, he was good enough to give us some some uh, valuable reps when needed. Uh, also played on some special teams, but just didn't feel right. Um, and so we rehabbed him all throughout the season last year. Uh, this time off has been huge for him and to get that knee a little bit more stable and uh, get some more strength in those legs. And uh, for at least for the for the first couple of days, he looks really good. So we're excited to have him back. That and just his leadership, this guy that's been on the team, been in the safety room, uh, is able to bring the younger guys along. So love him and what he brings to the table. And another example of, of what, you know, selfless football can do for a team. And just to follow that up, obviously, you had a lot of young guys on that defense getting, you know, live game reps during the fall. In hindsight, how how critical was it? to their maturation to, you know, not only be able to get those game reps, but to do so without losing the year of eligibility. Oh, invaluable, invaluable. We were probably one of the teams that benefited the most uh, from that, you know, in terms of just getting your younger guys reps, meaningful reps, getting them confidence. Uh, you know, the, the thing that those younger guys have not experienced yet is a crowd. Uh, what an opposing crowd can do to you, what a home crowd can do in terms of, of getting you excited, getting you pumped up. But uh, so we're excited. Hopefully that we're able to get uh, Rice Eccles Stadium going. And, uh, you know, those I know those young players, that's something that they talked about during the offseason is, is, is gaining a, an advantage there with the home crowd. Next up is Trevor Allen, KSLSports.com, followed by Cole Bagley from the Daily Utah Chronicle. I know that uh, spring depth charts are always to be taken with a, a, a grain of salt, but you have a Kamoi Latu starting at, at a strong safety. What has what his progress been? I know, I, I know that he, he's gotten time last year, but how, how, how critical is it for his development to, to get as many reps as possible in spring? Always important for those young guys to get reps. Kamoi Latu is what we want in terms of a physical football player. He is what our culture is. You know, he's tough. He's he's uh, bought into the w the way we do things. And I, I can't tell you how excited I am for 
for him and his future here at the University of Utah. And uh, you're right, spring depth chart, you, you really can't pay attention to it. Everyone's competing. The only depth chart that really matters is the one uh, come game week. So that's what we tell our players is never worry about what a depth chart is saying, particularly in spring. Uh, just keep competing, keep competing, keep competing. Cole Bagley, followed by Josh Furlong. Coach, what kind of value does it bring having a guy like Devin Lloyd uh, returning when he easily could have gone on to the NFL? And what do you expect from him this year? Well, you got Devin, you got Mika, you got Viana. There's a bunch of guys that, that had opportunities. And uh, to have them back again, particularly if they're leaders, if they do lead by example, if they are you know, compelling and they bring others along with them, you always want to have those guys in the program. So that's that's been huge. Devin, uh, you know, he was a leader last year. He's a leader this year, and leaders lead. And there's there's no drop-off there. So um, not only in the backer room, but you can see him holding other guys accountable in other position groups. He's, he's just a guy that gets it, not just not calling guys out. It's also, you know, promoting our culture. And when guys are doing things right, give him a, give him a pat on the back. So uh, love Devin, love Mika, those guys that, that, that are compelling and leading. Um, great to have those guys in the program. Josh Furlong. And Morgan, in the offseason, you guys were able to target a ton of, of linebackers and build that room. What, what was kind of some of the conversations that went on this, this in, you know, in the offseason that, that allowed you guys to be able to pick up some of these guys? And why has Utah become such a destination for that spot specifically? Well, um, you know, you recruit to your numbers, you know, the guys that you lose, uh, where you feel you, you lack depth. And that was one of the positions we felt we needed to strengthen. So um, we did that in recruiting. Colton Swan did, a, did an awesome job of targeting the guys that he wanted that fit our culture. And we just recruited the, the snot out of them. And we're, we're fortunate to get a good group to come in in terms of why it's such a valuable position, why, why backers want to come to Utah. It's just look at the defensive front. Those guys that take up blocks, that demand double teams uh, and allow your backers to roam free and make plays. The reason our backers are the most productive football players on the team is because those D-line do such a, a great job of owning their role. And, uh, you know, trust me, the, uh, Devin Lloyd and Nephi Sewell, they're grateful. And they, and they tell those guys, those defensive linemen, how grateful they are for them and what they do. It's a team sport. And, uh, you know, the backers in our defense are going to be productive based on how the D-line does. Our final question will come from Trevor Allen. This is more of a uh, off-topic question, but uh, with Urban Meyer and Quinton Ganther going to the Jacksonville Jaguars, just what were your thoughts as someone that you played with and played for? Well, I, you know, I'm fired up for Urban, the opportunity he has, um, and I'm excited to watch – uh, the progress there in terms of Quinton Ganther. Um, I've loved that, loved that guy, you know, ever since I played with him. He is a player's coach. He's also very demanding, which his coaches were with him. And, uh, you know, I see those players at that level really buying into Quinton and, and his way of doing things. So uh, Jacksonville's lucky to have those two. There's Utah football defensive coordinator Morgan Scally. When we come back, a scouting report on Texas Tech. Utah State and Texas Tech coming up at lunchtime today. NCAA tournament. Stay with us. 
Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision has given you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Time to welcome in Carlos Silva Jr. He covers the Texas Tech Red Raiders for the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. Carlos, good morning. Morning to y'all. How are you? Good. We are ready for the NCAA tournament. Utah State and Texas Tech right out of the gate. And before we get into some specifics with you, I'm curious kind of big picture. And the Red Raiders are, a lot of people are saying really nice things about them. A lot of people are picking them to beat Utah State in advance. They are the sixth place team out of the Big 12. Do you think, and, and they tied with Oklahoma at 9-8, and eight, do you think the Big 12, when they get hyped, is the best conference in the country, maybe with the Big Ten, kind of 1-1A. One one are they that good? Is the league that deep? Is that why the Red Raiders are 9-8? and eight? Or there's some fundamental flaws that can be attacked by the Aggies and whoever else they might play, however long they last in the NCAA tournament? Well, I think the one thing you have to look at with Texas Tech is uh, six of their eight losses have come by one or two possessions, and I think that's the thing that you have to look at is the fact that Again, going to your point, the Big 12 is a meat grinder just like the Big 10 is. And uh, if you make a mistake in a crucial moment, which has been snake-bitten by – or has snake-bit Texas Tech, pardon me, the last uh, couple games. Uh, and then you can even look at Texas where they were leading them for a little bit and then they weren't able to get the victory to eventually get to the Big 12 title game, which is what the Longhorns did. They cut down the net, so – Again, uh, I, I would just have to tell you, in terms of the big picture, Texas Tech is certainly one of those teams that is, again, as you mentioned, the sixth-place team in the Big 12, but that is a very, very deep league. I know everyone kind of looks at Kansas State and Iowa State and how bad they did, but a couple of years ago, this was a league where those two teams finished above 500 as well, and that was one of those uh, really odd statistics where every team finished above 500. Granted, the conference records didn't show that, but the fact that you're able to finish above 500 overall just shows the type of quality teams that the league does have. And obviously right now they're kind of switching over. Kansas State had its struggles. Iowa State has a new coach now because of their win this season. But in terms of Texas Tech, I think the one thing you can say is they stay in games, and if you're able to make some plays down the stretch, which is what uh, some teams did against Texas Tech, that being a Baylor, Texas, uh, you look at some of the other losses that they took as well against Houston. That one, they just got punched in the mouth early on, which is something that, going to your question, if Utah State's able to do get on a big run early, be able to hold them off, that could be something that Utah State could take advantage of. But again, Texas Tech is a much different team than that from that Houston loss. And I think that's the one thing that Chris Beard will always talk about and you'll always hear in his press conferences is game after game. He just wants to see his team improve, and they certainly improve because – they're in a much better standing than they were last year coming into the NCAA tournament before the Big 12. And, of course, everyone remembers how sports were canceled. 
Tell us about Mac McClung, you know, the transfer from Georgetown. Somewhat dynamic, but uh, can I label him streaky? Is that a fair assessment? I think it's a fair assessment. There were times where he didn't really start off strong in the first half, but then all of a sudden he'll pour in 18 to 20 points. Yeah, he is leading the team, but I think uh, one thing that you will see with McClung is sometimes he may not have the points scored that you're seeing from a leading scorer. Like, I, I can't remember which game, but he had four points total. But those four points, he had the four free throws at the end of the game that helped Texas Tech fend off a team for a victory. So I think that's one thing that Mac McClung is starting to learn about his game. It's not just about scoring. He came to Texas Tech, as Chris Beard has mentioned, for one, winning, getting to the NCAA tournament for the first time, but the other thing was to improve his defense, which I think he has a little bit. He's still got a little bit of a learning curve in terms of his help defense to where sometimes he does leave a guy open for three every once in a while. But I think uh, when you look at what he's able to do in terms of making plays with the ball, off the ball, that is something that helps Texas Tech open up their motion offense because of his ability just to create plays with the basketball and help create open lanes for his teammates. And I think that's one thing that Texas Tech does covet about Matt McClung is that when he does get hot, I mean, he can he can score in bunches. Carlos Silva Jr. joining us. He covers the Texas Tech Red Raiders for the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. Texas Tech's going to open the NCAA tournament by playing the Utah State Aggies. And Carlos, they do TV here. We have a weekly college basketball panel. There's a former Aggie player, Spencer Nelson, and he said this, and the former BYU assistant coaches on the panel, Tim Lacombe, agreed immediately. They said Texas Tech is like San Diego State out of the Mountain West Conference, except on steroids, a little bigger, a little quicker, a little deeper, but that uh, just the signature toughness, the willingness to defend and rebound every possession and just bang and be as physical as necessary. Is that really at the core who the Red Raiders are? Because if that's true, then Aggie fans know exactly what they're in for. Absolutely, and I almost even go a little bit farther in terms of rebounding. They are the best offensive rebounding team in the Big 12 for points at a time so I think that's something that Chris Beard covets again going back to that one to two possession uh, deal it's just Chris Beard is all about making an opportunity for yourself if he has an opportunity as I mentioned before at the end of a game where you get the ball or you need a stop he's he's obviously he's not going to enjoy having his heart attacks but he's going to enjoy the fact that he knows that he put his team in a position to win and that's certainly what he's going to do against uh, Utah State later this weekend. But in terms of uh, what what they both said, I totally agree with that. Uh, Defense is their DNA, their identity. Same thing with rebounding. And the other thing is toughness. I think you've seen that in games where they went down by double figures. They were able to come back. And uh, the other thing I would say is they're also a very deep team. I mean, you look at Jamarius Burden, who was injured for a little bit due to a toe tendon issue, and then all of a sudden – you get Clarence Madolin who steps up and is starting to play well. You see Tyreek Smith who's starting to develop into a, a very good post player. So I think that's one thing that you can also, or a couple things that you can also add is that they're a deep team and they're developing their players down the stretch. And we'll see if they're able to get some of these other guys some minutes because, as you mentioned, Matt McClung's going to get minutes, Terrence Shannon's going to get minutes, and you've got other guys like uh, Marcus Santa Silva that are pretty set in stone to be penciled in as starters, but You've got other guys that can also step in and score in bunches as well. 
How much do you think of maybe of a lack of size will be an issue against Kata? Because obviously he's a very good player. Uh, I've been asked this question a few times, and I know it's a different year or a different team, but Texas Tech has faced these big seven-footers. Matt Harms uh, is one that sticks out to me a couple years ago when they played Purdue. So I think the the one thing that you can also kind of flip it on its head is maybe Utah State's not used to playing a team that's got a bunch of six, seven athletes that can maybe blow by uh, Kata and maybe get him into foul trouble. I think that's going to be something that Utah State is going to have to be very wary of because maybe Texas Tech does go after him. They try to get him into foul trouble once he's on the bench. Certainly that's uh, not a place where Craig Smith would like him to be. So I think that's one thing Texas Tech will be looking to do is be aggressive, get to the free throw line, and obviously if they're able to get uh, Kata on the bench, that's certainly a big priority. And not only that, but speaking of Kyler Edwards yesterday, the guard for Texas Tech, he said the one thing they have to do is make sure he does not get the ball. So that should be interesting to see how they deny him on the defensive end. Not having a tournament last year kind of throws the whole NCAA tournament experience thing out of whack. And there's so many transfers now. I can't keep track of them all. You know, we, we got BYU here, and, you know, they got the team hasn't been to the tournament in a while, but they got four transfers who have been, including guys who played in the Sweet 16. Obviously, Texas Tech was in the national title game, but it was two years ago. How much of that a playing experience do they retain on the roster? Uh, they've got Kyler Edwards, who was a freshman on that team. Avery Benson uh, is another player. And if you want to count tournament experience, Marcus Santasilva has been there with uh, Virginia Commonwealth, but did not win that game. So if you're talking about the national championship, Kyler Edwards and Avery Benson would be the two that have been from there. Kyler Edwards uh, did score 12 points, I believe. I know for sure it was double figures, and he had a couple threes. Uh, in the midpoint of that game. So certainly he's a guy that does know what to expect. He can tell his teammates all this other stuff. But I I think as Chris Beard has said, very point blank, it's sometimes you just got to go out there and play, you know, and uh, the nerves will eventually get there. But once you start going out and playing and enjoying the game, they're going to go away. And I think that's one thing that he's hoping to see from his team is the fact that he does have some experience. Some of it may not be in the NCAA tournament with some of the guys like Mac McClung. Uh, Marcus Silva certainly has some, but he's expecting his guys that have already been in that grinder, as we talked about, of the Big 12 Conference. He's going to hope that that has helped them in terms of just, just the experience and then just knowing that every night or every game you play is going to be a difficult proposition. And I think that's what the NCAA tournament is going to present for them, but I think they've already prepared for that by being in the Big 12 Conference. Yeah, certainly the conference has helped them be prepared because I think it was the best conference this season. And within the conference season, they had a couple of times where uh, they missed some ball games. How much do you think that affected their team? Now, they should be past that, but in terms of maybe, you know, if they would have played and not sat out, I think it was a week or two that maybe they'd have a little bit better record? Uh, they might, but I think uh, that's something that Chris Beard will say. It's just not an excuse. Like, he was just prepared. I mean, go, going into this, you, you knew there was going to be a point where you would miss some games or you were going to have some things that were postponed, which is what happened with Texas Tech. You look at Baylor, uh, things were really, really kind of uh, mixed up for them. But I think with Texas Tech, I think the one thing they needed most of all was just to play games. And, uh, again, it's not the most ideal situation, but I think the fact that they were able to get back on track later on in the season 
uh, minus the two losses to Baylor and Texas to end the season. Texas, of course, being in the Big 12 quarterfinal game. But before that, they went on a three-game winning streak against Texas at home, beating TCU, beating Iowa State. I think those three were the biggest things because you kind of got on a roll. You saw what was working. And then you saw some guys step up, like I said, a clear the only Tyreek Smith. So I think for what they wanted to accomplish before the season ended, minus the loss and obviously not getting the Big 12 title, I think that's certainly a positive for Texas Tech just to kind of see their guys playing well down the stretch. Really, that kind of surprises me a little bit because I thought that 3-5 and five finish with the loss to Iowa State, who was you know just way worse than the rest of the league, that – People would look at that and say, "This is a team that didn't play its best ball down the finish, uh, down the stretch." Well, the the thing is, is the last two teams they played were two ranked teams. Number three Baylor on the road, and they kept that one pretty close up until the end. Then you look at Texas again, 67-66. It was just one of those where you have the last, the, the team that has the ball last kind of gets the gets a victory. And it was Texas that went went for the layup. Kyler Edwards appeared to get all ball, but he was called for a foul, and Texas was able to get the two game-winning, the game-tied and then game-winning free throws. So, again, it's just one of those things where you feel like you're close, and again, before that, they had three straight wins. So, it's just one of those things where, again, I'm kind of looking at the, the positive side of things in terms of you had those three straight wins, you were looking good, and then all of a sudden, you still played well against Baylor. It's not like you got blown out like some of these other teams that have played the Bears. And then Texas, it's just one of those, it's the 50-50 type game. And uh, unfortunately, they just came out on the wrong side of it. Yeah, and they had beat Texas uh, when you talk about that three-game winning streak. That was the start of it at the end of February. And uh, BYU could run into Texas. Could you tell us a little bit what your impressions are about Texas? Most athletic team in the Big 12 is the best thing I can tell you. Their, Their bigs are incredible. Uh, I know everyone's going to talk about Greg Brown, but Kai Jones is certainly another really good forward that can step out and make a three. But the thing that makes them go is their guards, Coleman, Ramey, and Jones. If they're able to get going, which is what Texas Tech has been able to do at times, but then, of course, if you slow down the guards, that means the posts are going to really kind of start to to get going. So that's the one thing about Texas is they've got so many offensive weapons. It's just a matter of you kind of pick your poison. And for Texas Tech, that was trying to get the guards into foul trouble, which they were able to do in that game where they did lose by one point. But uh, that's really what a a team that is playing the long board is going to have to do. You're going to have to get some of those guys into foul trouble because if not, it's going to be a very difficult day uh, on the defensive end. Well, Carlos, we appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on and sharing a little uh, Texas Tech Red Raider basketball knowledge with us. Hey, anytime. Appreciate y'all. That's Carlos Silva Jr. He is the beat writer covering Texas Tech, giving us the lowdown on the Aggies in Texas Tech. They're going to play today at lunchtime. Gear up for that. 11.45, the tip time for that game on TNT. All right, DJ and PK, we're going to take a break. When we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show after the Jazz and the Wizards. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is time now for the best of the Jazz postgame show as the Jazz flounder badly and lose to the Wizards. Here's Jake. It's your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Tough one for the Jazz last night. They lose to the Wizards in Washington. The lowly Wizards, 131 to 122. Not a whole lot of defense going on down in this one. Uh, uh, Bradley Beal had 43 points for the Wiz on 16 of 24 shooting. Russell Westbrook with 35 points, 15 rebounds, and 13 assists. Had a triple-double. For the Jazz, Donovan Mitchell did have a season-high 42 on 16 of 30 shooting. Uh, Joe Ingles had a career-high 34, red-hot, uh, 12 of 17, 8 of 10 from 3. He had 5 rebounds and 2 assists. But uh, the Jazz not focused defensively and uh, made it real easy for the Washington Wizards. Trailed uh, big most of this one. Trailed by as many as 24 in the first half. Uh, got it with an 8 in the fourth quarter, but the Wizards grabbed a couple offensive rebounds and uh, really uh, wasn't even as close as the final score would indicate. Let's get some uh, let's get some post-game sound. Let's start with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Okay, we'll get started with Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. Quinn, it seems like they ended up with a lot of shots at mid-range. Are those shots you're happy to have them taking, or were they too open, or, or what did you see? Well, they want to be contested. You know, Bradley Beal's one of the best mid-range shooters in the league. You know, Russell Westbrook has um, a mid-range game. You know, I thought with Westbrook's we, it was too easy for him to get us deep, um, particularly on a lot of the back downs and the post-ups. And in many situations, you know, when we did get a stop or contest, um, some of the same. When we cut the lead to seven, um, you know, we gave up a free throw rebound. Fortunately, didn't score on that. We gave up another rebound, offensive rebound. And uh, you know, more than them making shots, which, you know, you're going to expect, you know, be able to make shots. You know, it's a lot of the other things that, you know, that we didn't do consistently enough, whether it be taking care of the ball, you know, six turnovers in the first quarter, um, those lead to baskets. Uh, just being focused on, can't give up four 30-point 30, 30 quarters. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Quinn, I was going to ask about the turnovers. It seems like particularly at the beginning of the last few games, there have been a lot of those quarters where you know high high turnover totals what is the issue in your mind with with those happening is it a lack of focus earlier on before kind of settling in or or what's going on there uh you know i that that's what you know something along those lines is what i would attribute it to um you know there's there's turnovers and then there's turnovers and some of the ones that you know, although we're being defended, um, we're not. There, there are things that we, you know, there's play. There are plays we can make, um, and we have to be more precise, and have to. It has to be more important not, not to take care of the or to take care of the ball, um, because those things, you know, especially early in the game, as you said, you know, there's times when you can overcome that, and there's times when you. You know, you dig yourself, you know, a pretty, a pretty big hole, too big a hole. And um, our response to turn the ball over and missing a shot has to be to, to have even more resolve on the defensive end. Next up, Sarah Todd, Desert News. 
<clears throat> Quinn, last handful of games, there seemed to be a drop-off for you guys on the defensive end. Can you see a through line there or something that you can point to where you can say that's that's the place where we kind of need to pick it up? Uh, I think it's, you know, it's a lot of things. It's, um, you know, collectively, you know, it started out the game. We, we were too casual getting back on a couple of possessions. Um, you know, we got beat middle. Um, we didn't shift in from the weak side or we didn't get back and hit somebody and get them off the glass. So it, it's a collection of things, which to me, they're just the urgency that we have on defense, um, you know, needs to improve. There's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Tough night for his team. They lose 131 to 122. Let's move on and hear from some of the players. Let's start things out with Donovan Mitchell. Hey, Donovan. We'll get started with Sarah Todd, Desert News. Hey, Don. uh, Can you maybe see a through line or what's been happening the last few games on defense uh, where you guys have kind of fallen off a little bit? Um, I think contain the ball, communication. Um, that just comes with focus. Not sure we've had it the past few games. We just got to step up. You know, at the end of the day, we got to, you know, communicate, keep the ball in front of us. And, you know, without that, you know, we're, we're going to have nights like this. And um, it's got to pick it up. Chris and Kenny, Jesse B. Don also dealing with the, the turnover issues that we've seen the past few games and tonight as well. It's Are you seeing something that other teams are doing uh, to affect you guys' execution and rhythm? No, I, I think teams are just playing more physical. I mean, just got to be more precise. You know, when a team, you know, wants it more, and, and then, like tonight, I think they just wanted it. They played last night. They played a tough game last night, and they you couldn't tell by the uh, way they played. So um, for us, we just got to be able to hone in and focus. Um, teams are going to go out there and, you know, try and come at us, you know, whether it's through physicality or energy, whatever it may be. Um, we just got to be ready for it. And we ha- I can't say we have been uh, for the past few games. Next up, Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Donovan, it seems like maybe the, the biggest problem has been point of attack defense. Like, I don't know if it's dying on screens or not being able to find, the, you know, again, stay in front of guys. How do you make that happen? And, and kind of what I, do you have any explanation for why it's kind of dropped off as, as much of it as it has? It's, it's just a focus. Um, to be honest with you. And I think that goes back to communication. Um, and then, you know, having just sense of, of pride defensively as well. Um, you know, I think that's, that's really what it is. And we're not going to get anywhere. Um, if we just try to outscore people, you know, if we, if we did that, we're, we're losing by nine. We came back, you know, we were right there, but you know, we couldn't guard, couldn't rebound. Um, and then the turnovers, but just communicating, keeping the ball in front, you know, there's several instances where, it's not always the guy on the ball. It's the shifts. So the guy sees a crowd. You know, I like to attack when I don't see anybody shifting. We got to do the same thing um, on defense. You know, I think that's that's what helps. But at the end of the day, one-on-one defense is what we're going to see going forward. We're going to see that in the playoffs. And if we can't guard, then uh, not going to really do much. So we got to take more pride in that and go from there. Tony Jones, The Athletic. Is there anything schematically that you guys can can do in terms of uh, in in terms of containing you know a backcourt like Westbrook and and Bill? And this you know just goes from night to night. You're going to see Fred VanVleet tomorrow night. You're going to see Zach Levine on Monday. You know, and it goes on and on. Um, 
like I said, it's a, it's a team thing. You know, it's easy to just kind of say Royce has it, or if it's a big Rudy has it or Fave has it or Joe has it. Like, you know, it's, it's on all of us, you know, uh, Westbrook had 20 in the first 14 minutes, 16 minutes, something like that. I mean, um, I think that's, that says it all, you know, this at the end of the day, like, you know, we're contesting shots and they're going to hit a few, they're good players, they're high level players. Uh, but you know, we got to, like I said, keep the ball in front and, and go from there. Uh, schematically, we had a great, I would say we had a great plan drawn up. You know, we just didn't execute it to our best of our abilities. Um, you know, I think we can, we can do better. And I said, it's not always just the guy on the ball, you know, it's, it's the guy, it's the guy you see when you, when you watch the game, but it's, it's a little things of shifting, being there, being at the point of the screen, communicating early. So we're not getting in certain situations. And then from there, it's garden. Um, we just got to do it. Like I said, cause if we don't, you know, it's not going to be good for us. We just got to go out there and do it and go from there. Last question, follow up from Chris and Kenny. You're going to get the best from every team now in the NBA, whether it's like tonight facing the 13 team in the East, tomorrow, Toronto. So how much more important is it, Donovan, for you guys to get these strong starts to not give your opponents confidence? Um, it's huge. Like I said, teams are going to come out and try and be physical, try and disrupt our offense because our offense is free flowing and, you know, it's, it's draining to, to move the ball the way we, to, to guard, have to guard the way we move the ball, to guard the way we run, shoot the three. Um, it's draining. So if they can take us out of it, whether it's hitting us on the screen or coming out with more energy or screaming, whatever it may be, um, we just got to be ready for it. You know, we can't wait, you know, and I think we've gotten accustomed to waiting and then saying, oh, we'll come back, you know, and I think we just got to find ways to go out there and, and whatever it is. I, I don't have a don't have the magic saying right now, whatever it is, we got to go out there and do it to start uh, one through 15. Um, we all got to be mentally ready because, you know, we're not it's not the Jazz from the past. Like we're not four, five, six, seven, eight seed. Like we're the number one team in the league. And this is what comes with it. Every night you got to be ready. And we got to do that. That's Donovan Mitchell. Uh, 42 points last night for the Jazz coming in the loss. 16, uh, he was 16 of 30 from the field. Let's now hear from Joe Ingles. All right. We'll have our first question from Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Joe. So obviously uh, you guys surrender 30 points or more in in each of the quarters tonight. Kind of what were the biggest issues defensively against the Wizards tonight? Uh, probably don't have long enough to talk about them all, to be honest. Um, I mean, it started in transition. Um, off our kind of misses or turnovers or, I mean, even off made buckets, they were, they were pushing it um, kind of all the way to the hoop on the rim. Um, so obviously that was, um, but we knew coming in, obviously that they play fast. They, that's what kind of, I mean, Russ has done his whole career, but they, they play fast and make some misses. They push the ball and we were, we were jogging back. And, um, I mean, I think that was a, a massive part of it. They were getting on the rim early. Um, him and Brad obviously been the, kind of the main culprits and then kicking out for shots, offensive rebounding. Um, I mean, we didn't. I mean, we didn't get stops all night, so you can uh, write a nice long list on what we didn't do, to be honest. Next up, Sarah Todd, Desert News. Joe, uh, Quinn and Don both, you know, said that there's, you know, a lack of focus and a lack of urgency lately. Is there anything that you can point to for the, the reason for that or why maybe communication or focus is lacking? 
No, I mean, I th- God, obviously it sounds silly, but if we knew if we knew it, we'd obviously kind of knock it out and, and get rid of it straight away. But um, I mean, coach said it that we we've kind of started. Um, I guess his words were kind of not hungry. Like we need we need to start. I mean, we've got we've still got a decent record regardless of the result tonight. But we need to play like we like we want to win a championship. Like we want to not get knocked out in the first round, like we have been. Um, and, I, and I think that's kind of yeah for for what I like. I said, I mean, I don't know the exact reason, um, but we need to come out aggressive on on both ends. When we do, we're we're really really effing good team. Um, and when we don't, it I mean, it's shown over the last. However, I don't even, I don't know a record or whatever it is over the last few games, but the last few games, obviously, we haven't really felt that felt the way that we've we've played for a lot of the season this year. Um, I think Boston, we got it started to get it back a little bit, and then we we obviously kind of lost it again tonight. So we we need to figure it out. I mean, we know with our record and the way we've been playing, people are going to give us their best shot night in, night out, and then we haven't been ready for it. So if we continue to not be um it's going to be a miserable second half of the year that was joe ingles career high 34 points from joe but uh, you could hear in his voice he wasn't exactly celebrating disappointed in the the tough loss for his team uh let's now wrap things up from a player standpoint with rudy gobert hey rudy we'll go ahead and get started with Kristen kenny just tv rudy coach talked about focus and communication as part of the issues on the defensive end lately why do you feel that you guys are, are struggling in those areas? Uh, I think especially start of the game, you know, we it feels like we start a game with not enough urgency. Um, and uh, I think the, the communication is something that we don't feel like it's, it's important enough that we don't do it. And it's something that I think we should do. Uh, even on the games when you're tired, I think, you know, uh, having that vocal energy from everyone uh, and even everyone on the bench too uh, is really a plus, you know, and it really helps. So we need to, you know, uh, I think we need to understand that, that it's important and we need to do it every single night regardless of, you know, regardless of who we play, regardless of uh, if we got legs, if we don't have legs, if we, you know, if it's raining, if it's sunny, we, we just got to talk every night. And, uh, you know, obviously it's never going to be perfect, but uh, I think if we talk, it, it, it's, uh, it really helps us uh, get locked in and, and get on the same page. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Rudy, do you feel like the defense right now is, is issues at the point of attack? What's going on with the transition defense? I mean, kind of what are the biggest issues uh, schematically right now for you guys? I think there's the base games when our, our offense really affects our defense, uh, especially teams that push the ball a lot. And tonight, uh, I feel like early in the game, that was the case. You know, they, they scored in transition because we – we were able to slow game back and, you know, we, we kind of cleaned that up over the course of the game. Um, and that's why we were able to come back in the game. But, you know, I think uh, obviously it starts with uh, the ball pressure. It starts with me uh, getting back, talking to my teammates, uh, having their back. And, uh, you know, it's got to be our mindset. I feel like we we are not tough enough. You know, I, I, don't, I feel like we don't embrace... Uh, 
you know, our defensive mindset enough. We do it when we're down, you know, but when we, when the game starts, we always need to get punched first before we, we react. And, you know, if you want to be a, a great team, I think we, we need to be the team that sets the tone and, and dictates and not, not let the other team dictate to us what we do, you know, because uh, I think we got all the weapons that we need defensively and we got guys that are long, athletic, um, uh, quick, you know, we, we can do a much better job and, and, and it starts with me, of course. Last question, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Rudy, Joe said that you guys are not being aggressive enough right now on either end, that you're that you're not playing like a team that wants to win a championship, but like a team that's going to get knocked out in the first round again unless it gets turned around. I guess just how do you respond to that and, and what exactly, you know, other than the things that you've already just mentioned, do you need do you feel like you need to do? What 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 you said at the beginning? Sorry. Uh, at the beginning, I, I said that Joe mentioned that uh, you guys are not aggressive enough and, and you're not playing like a championship team, but a team that's going to get knocked out in the first round. So how do you how do you get that turned around? Uh, I think we have to understand that we haven't accomplished, you know. Uh, we've been to the second round a few times, but, uh, uh, you know, we, 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 we get upset when people kind of, Laugh, laugh at us on TV and disrespect us and, and you know, and there is disrespect out there, but, but it's on us to have respect for ourselves and, and understand that, you know, in order for, like, we, we, we're the challengers. We, we, we're, not the, we're not the champions. We, we're not a team that can just cruise and, and, and then turn it on when it's playoff time. So we need to understand that we got to stay hungry and, uh, you know, and staying hungry is paying attention to the little details, uh, not being worried about individual stuff, not, re- not being worried about distractions. And, uh, you know, and it takes, you know, uh, a team to be able to do that. And it takes, you know, uh, character. And, you know, we, I feel like we, we have it. You know, I feel like we, sometimes it goes away, but I feel like we have it. And we just need to, to try to find a way to, 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 to have it every night, you know, and to, and to have that, uh, that edge, you know, that chip on our shoulder that, that I know we have, it, you know, I know we have it, but that sometimes disappears and, and, and then comes back, you know? So it's, uh, it's really, uh, you know, on us to be hungry every night. We have, we haven't accomplished anything yet. And I think we know it, everybody knows it. And it's almost like it's a new season that starts now. And, uh, and we need to keep getting better. You know, not overreact to a loss, but keep getting better, uh, keep enjoying the game, and uh, and uh, and be hungry. There you go, Rudy Gobert. Certainly, with some tale- telling statements there at the end, talking about how they haven't won anything yet and uh, got to have respect for themselves and and go out there and play as a team. Tough loss last night for the Utah Jazz. They lose to the Wizards, one thirty-one to one twenty-two. Don't have long to dwell on it. However, uh, they are uh, tonight. They're in action, taking on the Raptors in Tampa Bay. That game will tip off at six o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at five. There is the best of the Jazz post-game show. When we come back, looking ahead to the NCAA tournament, BYU knows they're getting UCLA now. What a game that was with Michigan State. And we will get to that next And what is trending right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. 
Your day has just begun. Yeah! But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah! Hashtag Utah Jazz. Um, it's huge. Like I said, teams are going to come out and try and be physical, try and disrupt our offense because our offense is free-flowing and it's draining to, to move the ball the way we to, to guard, have to guard the way we move the ball, to guard the way we run, shoot the three. It's draining. So if they can take us out of it, whether it's hitting us on the screen or coming out with more energy or screaming, whatever it may be, um, we just got to be ready for it. You know, we can't wait, you know, and I think we've gotten accustomed to waiting and then saying, oh, we'll come back, you know, and I think we just got to find ways to go out there and, and whatever it is. I, I don't have a don't have have the magic saying right now whatever it is we gotta go out there and do it to start one through 15 we saw gotta be mentally ready because you know we're not it's not the jazz from the past like we're not four five six seven eight seed like we're the number one team in the league and this is what comes with it every night you gotta be ready and we gotta do that and they weren't ready they were down by 10 to the wizards in the first quarter and it got worse from there even when they made a run they immediately turned around and gave up another run so they get beat 131 to 122. That was a lot of talk about offense, and I suspect that Coach Quinn Snyder wanted to talk about defense, PK, because 131 points is way too many. I want to talk about intensity and I lack don't want to thereof. Point anything? Yeah, I mean, this uh, coming out so so slow and so soft. It's got to stop. I mean, you got down double digits to Boston. You got down double digits to Washington, and Washington's a crappy team. I'm getting. I'm starting to get tired of it. Joe Ingles said, listening to him on the Zoom, that you know, dude, we've got to come out like we're the best team in the league. We want to win a title. We want to get out of the first round. And right now they're not. So you can pinpoint any aspect: offense, defense, passing, turnovers, boxing out, showing on the screens, and all the jargon you want. To me, it's all about heart and intensity. Let's start to show some when the game starts. Gave up a 15-0 run to the Warriors in the first quarter. It just goes on and on, game after game. They're 5-6 and six in their last 11 games now. Right back at it tonight. They play the Toronto Raptors. Toronto's playing their season in Tampa this year, so they'll be in Tampa tonight. Game tips at 6, pregame at 5 o'clock. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Fournier trying to work off her screen. Has the pass. Intercepted by Bullock. Bullock stole the basketball. Now Alec Burks looks to run out the clock. And he does. Buzzer sounds. Knicks win it thanks to the defense of Reggie Bullock. And in the paint against Paul. Spins. Lost the ball. Got it back. Lays it in for two. And the Timberwolves lead 115-113. Ant up to 41 points. A new career high for him. James going into the dribble. With one at the buzzer. LeBron Highlights from the NBA, LeBron, the Lakers, they beat the Hornets 116-105. to LeBron had 37 in that. They are now all alone in second place because the Phoenix Suns got beat by the Minnesota Timberwolves, 123-119. to Anthony Edwards, the top pick, had a 42-point night. Huge game. And now the Lakers are a game and a half behind the Jazz. The Suns are in third place, two and a half back, and the Clippers are fourth, four back. Before that, you also heard Reggie Bullock with a late steal for the Knicks. They won. They beat the Magic 94-93. They're 500. But the focus is in the West, PK, and the Lakers picking up ground on two of the other top teams in the West. 
And they're shorthanded, but they're getting it done. Agreed. Won four in a row now. 14 Atlanta Hawks players received their first dose of the COVID vaccine following the win over the Thunder. 36 members, including the players vaccinated in overall three. Three players did not meet the state of Georgia's standard to qualify to be vaccinated. Don't know about vaccination qualification. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. Muscling it up top, Campbell down three. Aggressive drive, head fake, bounce pass, Hawkins. Head fake, shot good and a foul. And Hawkins back to the line. He can tie the game. Campbell goes with him over top. Leave up high for Aaron Henry. Henry spin move in the lane. Floater right hand is good. Controlled by Bernard. Feeds the driver, Riley to the rim and he jams. Then it strides, soar and dunk it home. And the UCLA Bruins, down big, down 11 at the half. Rally, force overtime, and beat the Michigan State Spartans 86-80. to Javier Jaquez Jr., 27 points, had an enormous game. And UCLA comes back to get the win, and now they will draw BYU. UCLA was down, they were down big, but they were down but not out, PK. What a rally. Ah, oh, what a cliche. Yeah, absolutely. Bring on the UC Los Angeles Bruins. That was a very nice game for them. I didn't think they'd win. They got it done. Looked like Michigan State imploded. Uh, Izzo going after the player. Brown, I think it was, at halftime. Brown slapping his hand away. And then you follow with the traditional cliche with the jocks. Oh, that happens all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I see it every game. I see it like 10 times a game. No big deal. Yeah, right. And they lose the game. Headed up the tunnel at halftime with a big lead and all sorts of dissension. What the heck is wrong with you guys? Well, happens up. Geez, happens at just about three times a quarter. You can go home to East Lansing and uh, figure that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can. No- nothing going on here. BYU and UCLA primetime Saturday night. Yeah, nothing going on here, right? Hmm. Good one. I'm going to watch that game if I can. That'd be great. You should try <laughs> to fit that into your schedule. Channel 2, PK. Channel 2. I don't watch Channel 2 anymore for personal reasons, but uh, I'll uh, have to follow it on Twitter. It's a big day in my household. My little little girl turned 16 on Saturday. Ooh. Big birthday. Yeah. Driver's license? Ops, driver's license, equipment license, job. Yeah, she better have it all by <laughs> Saturday night. <laughs> by the time this game tips off, <laughs> everything needs to be in order. All right, NCAA tournament coverage will be on 1280 The Zone through the weekend. Coverage will begin today at 10, resume this afternoon after the Utah State game wraps up. And you'll hear the other shows over on 97.5 The Zone. And the Jazz game tonight in Tampa is on 97.5 as well. Aggies and Texas Tech, that's at 11.45 this morning on TNT. Scotty G will have the uh, the play-by-play assembly hall in Bloomington. Who's going to win this? You like the Aggies? You like the Red Raiders? Polls up there at uh, Twitter. We will uh, take the temperature of the people. Texas Tech, a four-point favorite in this one, PK. Can the Aggies shoot it? Can they avoid those slow offensive starts that have been plaguing them lately? Yeah, I think they got an excellent opportunity here because I think Kata can be the best player on the floor. He's the best player on the floor. That's huge. And he's an opportunity now to really get himself a little bit higher profile uh, I believe he's an NBA player, so go out and show it. 
Richard Pitino said during his introductory press conference he wants to, quote, bring back the magic to New Mexico as he takes over the Lobo program as their new head coach. Is he going to bring back the magic, PK? I didn't know, has Orlando ever been in Albuquerque to play a game? Because that's the, way the, the only way it's going to happen. Iowa State hired UNLV's head coach, T.J. Otzelberger, to be their new head coach. He was 29-30 and 30 in two years at UNLV. But he's been an assistant coach twice in Ames, had some connections, so he got the job despite the sub-500 record. Yeah, well, UNLV, man, they, their coaching carousel has just been spinning around and around a thousand times over these last few years. And it's spinning again. I mean, the Texas Tech coach had the job for a day and a half, and he took off. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. They, they told me I was a starter. That was one of the reasons why I wanted to come here. And so every conversation I've had is uh, has been that. So that's the assurance that I've got. That's Andy Dalton, the Bears' new starting quarterback. He says they assured him that he will not be competing with Nick Foles, who had been trading the job back and forth with Mitchell Trubisky. Neither one had really been able to hold on to it. And Trubisky just signed as the backup in Buffalo. But... Andy Dalton gets a year and $10 million in Chicago to show the Bears what he can do. So they guaranteed him he's going to be the starter? That's what he said. I heard what he said. <laughs> seems odd to me, too. Sounds like it seems odd to you. And you can be guaranteed that you're the starter now, but if the team starts 2-4, and four, are you still going to be the starter? I don't know that there are any guarantees then. Denver Broncos GM. George, I have not heard his name. Is it Patton? Yeah. Wow. One T, though, not mm-hmm. two. Yeah. All right. George Patton, the famous general, said he expects linebacker Von Miller to have a Pro Bowl-type season. That'd be helpful. Coming off multiple injuries the last couple of years. Houston attorney Tony Busby, who lifted the lid on the evolving Deshaun Watson story, said on Instagram there are nine total cases against Watson. So far, only three civil lawsuits have been filed. The latest related to an alleged sexual assault of a massage therapist while the first two accused Watson of civil assault. These are all civil cases, not criminal cases, looking for damages. So. Hmm. I don't know that I would use the word only three civil lawsuits <laughs> have been filed. So far? I think I would say three. Only three? Oh, okay. Well, that's understandable. Only three? Yeah, come on. Well, there are nine total cases. We'll see if the other six are filed or not or you know, how much of this is true. How much of this is putting pressure on him to settle? I guess that will sort itself out going forward. Yeah, but what does that mean? There are nine total cases against Watson. Are there really? Well, that's an excellent question, and the lawyer says there are, but is he just saying that to put pressure on him to settle? Okay. Cases I, or instant incidences or instances? Cases? Well, either they are or they aren't on that one, though. I have a little bit of a problem with that. If, is it a case if nothing has been done about it. See what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, I think this is all a negotiation. I mean, yesterday I said it's two so far, but, you know, I don't know. I don't think any of us know what level of truth, if any, there is to this. No, are there, like you said, cases suggest criminal. But these have all been filed as civil suits, not criminal. And so now it's about money and about a settlement. Are they just 
looking for a cash grab here and nothing happened and they're trying to put pressure on him or something did happen, but it's he said, she said, and they don't think they can prove it in a, a criminal court because there are no witnesses. I, I think all of that has to be sorted out. Everything I mean, what, is about money. There it is. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. John Lester made his spring training debut two weeks after undergoing surgery to remove a parathyroid gland. Washington Nationals pitcher says, Baseball for me is an escape. I come to the field, I've got stuff I need to do, and I forget about this, pointing to the scar on the front of his throat. Oh, yeah, I can buy that. For some people, if you're fortunate enough, work is an escape. Uh, Golf is an escape. Uh, Taking walks is an escape. Having a dog is an escape. Yeah, I absolutely understand that. Yankees and Mets will be allowed to have a maximum capacity of 20% to start their season. So they're going to have some fans at home games. That means uh, almost 11,000, a little under that, for the Yankees and Toronto, their April 1 opener. Mets could have up to 8,300 for their April 8 home opener against Miami at City Field. So, trending back as multiple teams announce uh, what they're going to do for attendance. Dodgers are going to have some fans at their games. I saw that as well. So, what is trending? Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801 295 1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Radio Voice of Utah Jazz, David Locke will join us in about 15 minutes. Discuss what the Jazz must do to get back on track. Kyle Winningham's media availability is 8 o'clock. We'll hear from the Ute football coach. And Ben Bolts, UCLA Bruins beat writer for the LA Times. Coming up later in the show as well, spring football tour. A lot going on with March Madness. Oh, Bruins beat writer for hey, basketball. Dude, Hello. Dude, come on. Hello. Like, uh... Uh... <laughs> Uh, to get you ready for BYU and UCLA. <laughs> DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Gordon, we have just fascinating basketball coming up between the Jazz and the Wizards. <laughs> really, whiz. 12 minutes into the show for Gordon to make the Wiz joke. That might be a new record. <laughs> How many before 3 o'clock, though? None. I've used it. I've burned it. I'm not going to say it again. And the Wiz are 3-7 and seven over their last 10. The victory against the Wiz, what does that really prove? Which brings us back to the conversation about the Wiz. Do you have to flush the whole thing down the toilet before you can rebuild? <laughs> I made it once. I won't make the joke again. No, Bam, I meant 10 it. times I would, later. I said I wouldn't say let's go. Go Wiz. No. The toilet reference was totally a coincidence. Uh-huh. Wasn't okay. even thinking that. Yeah, right. Catch the big show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes Toast brought to you by Jerry Seiner Cadillac. Right now, you can get up to $6,000 in purchase allowance on the XT lineup. Experience the luxury you deserve by booking a test drive today. Time for the question of the day. How pathetic was that? The Jazz lost to the Wizards. One of the five worst teams in the NBA. They'd lost five in a row and seven out of eight. They were playing on the second night of a back-to-back after a tough game that went right down to the wire, and they lost to the Kings. And the Jazz got beat. Gave up 131 points. How pathetic was it? Brian says very pathetic. But on the bright side, Jingland Joe played great. Maybe it's time to move him back to the starting lineup permanently. 
Ready for some lineup changes, PK? Shake things up? Who comes out? That would be an excellent question. I mean, it's going to have to be either Conley or Bogey. Has to be either of those two? Can be I would else? think so. Yes, I think it has to be one of those two. Okay. I mean, I think it would probably be Conley because you're trying to always have two of the three with uh, Conley, Bogey, and uh, Donovan on the floor. So you always well, that's have not going to happen. Two guys out there. So Scott says Bogey's killing the Jazz. The turnovers, the missed open threes. There are plenty of people uh, critical of Bogey right now. Although some people are just critical of the whole team. Andrew, I'm not sure they'll make it past the first round again. These guys are frauds, unfortunately. Ooh, that's That's, strong. That is strong. And it's probably the strongest one we have going through there. Uh, It's more along the lines of Jay. That was a crappy performance from a team that is capable of so much more. Obvious. Yeah, I agree with that. Tanner says, 4-5 seed, here they come. Same old stuff? That's what Tanner thinks. Been in that 4-5 series many times. Yeah. Three with the current group, and I think the D-Well Boozer group lived in the 4-5 in the range for a while as well. Ryan says, go Lakers. Ah, uh, Laker fans showing up, piling on. Mark says, it's frustrating as a fan to get the national media to give this team the credit that it deserved only to have Jazz turn around and lay an egg like this. It's going to be a lot of I told you so about this team by the national media in the coming weeks. Uh, If it continues, sure. Yeah, Yeah, I can buy that. But it's not college football. It doesn't really matter. They either get it together or they don't, and they'll be seated where they'll be seated based on how many games they win. So. Uh, sure, yeah. So if you're worried about that, uh, you don't have to be. But people are. They want to see their team be number one, and they want to get the national respect, blah, blah, blah. That's just part of the deal. I get it. Stan says defense is a lost art among these guys. That's true. The guy's blown by him. And even when they did miss, they got offensive rebounds. Quinn commented on that in his postgame. He was upset about the offensive rebounds. All of which comes back to the energy you were talking about, PK. You know, not moving on defense comes back to the energy. Getting beat to a rebound comes back to the lack of energy. You can't just drift through the games. It's not going to work. Yeah, I don't get it. I just, I don't know. You can stat me all you want, but I'm going to go to your heart, and I don't know what stat that reveals. I would like to see some more intensity and stop getting down early. Six nothing, away we go, man. You just feel it like, oh, brother, here we go again. (laughs) Nancy says they look slow and disinterested. I don't understand it. Nancy, you're not alone, Nancy. Very crowded room. Tony says bogey has been AWOL. Donovan looked like he was so not interested in playing in the first half. For the love of all things basketball, make a freaking free throw. Kind of knew this game was in trouble when that first possession was a turnover. JC couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. Post game, we know what we have to do. Well, let's stop playing like shiz in the first quarter. I'm done. Tony's done. I'm not done, but I want more. Everybody does, but when will that happen? Tonight. Tonight, they're going to turn it around? Why not? Uh, they could, but I don't know why not last night. 
doesn't matter. It's over now. Nothing True I can story. do about it. True story. That so, one's gone. Uh, to, to, to me, now's an, uh, there's no opportunity like right now. No, go ahead and get it done, man. Just go ahead and freaking get it done. Today is the time. You're playing another not good team. Every game's on the road for Toronto this year. They got a sub-500 record. There's all kinds of talk about trades and who might be gone at the deadline. You would think they are ripe to be beaten. Yeah, and it's more about the Jazz than it is the opponent anyway. And I get that if you were playing uh, New Jersey or Brooklyn, you know, it would be a, a more difficult task. But even with that in mind, if they were playing Brooklyn, I would still focus on what type of effort the Jazz give. Uh, so you need to – I can't say turn it around because that's too strong for me anyway. For others it might not be, but for me it's just opinion that we got going back and forth here. Uh, to me it's not, not, it's not about turning it on. It is about turning it up. Get more intensity from the start. Let, let's see what you can do. I'm not a, you, you don't even necessarily have to jump on them early. How about you just stay with them early instead of jump on them early instead of always fighting from behind? It just seems like it is a groundhog day with this team right now. Early turnovers, the other team gets a little mo. you're down, you're thinking, oh, we're going to come back. I mean, to be down by 24 to the Washington Wizards on the one Washington, now it was home games, right? They, they played back-to-back. Yes, it was. Uh, so that's a little different than getting on a plane and getting home at 2 or 3 in the morning. No question. But nevertheless, it, would, it was still back-to-back. And who'd they lose to? Sacramento? Yep. Which, you know, so, you, so you're not as good as Sacramento. And then you're going to turn around and blitz the best team in the league record-wise. That's just not good, man. It's inexcusable. We can come up with all the excuses we want and numbers and this and that. And I don't care about that stuff, man. I, I care about intensity and heart and determination and the will to win, and, you know, you know you're not going to have it every night. I understand that. But the pattern of falling down early to teams that are marginal, average at best, that's bothersome to me. And, and if you win the title or get to the conference finals or get to the NBA finals, what you did on March uh, 18th, I, I understand that. It's not that big of a deal. But that's where we're in the moment now. So I just can't blow everything off in the moment looking ahead to two months down the line. I, I, I have to have some level of evaluation in the moment. And right now, in the moment, the effort is not good enough for me. DJ and PK, it is time to bring in David Locke, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. His weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning. PK is right. That's David Locke. He joins us every week. Thank you, David. <laughs> See you. I don't know what he said, but I figured it was a good way to start the interview. <laughs> you can repeat yourself. You're, you're, uh, you're spot on here, PK. He is going to agree with you when he hears you. Well, what? Yak, play it back. I can't recreate genius. <laughs> you can't do it. Of course not. Jeez Louise. Did I say lock? I mean, you are, I mean, you are the ultimate one. You are the ultimate one-shot pony, so yeah. I can't uh, expect I, it twice. It's here, and it's gone. As quick as it came, that's as quick as it leaves. Bottom line, they're sucking right now, David. They don't have to jump on them early if they could just trade baskets early because it just seems like Groundhog Day, giving up a 
huge run to the Wizards, which is what they gave up to the Celtics, which followed giving up a 15-0 run to the Warriors. Could they just trade hoops early? More energy, more effort. If they do that, they'll get back to being a good team. And there's no reason to go crazy now, PK said, because what happens in the playoffs is going to trump whatever happened on March 18th in Washington. But we're in the now right now, and they need to play better than this. This just isn't good enough. It shouldn't be who they are. But you are what your record says you are, and you are what the scoreboard says you are. And right now the scoreboard says they couldn't hang with the Wizards, which seems ridiculous, but that's what happened. So, I mean, like last week was maybe DJ's highest, best moment ever in his radio career. I mean, like really. Um, oh, yeah. I said back. High level. Um, and now, PK, I try to give you a little room, and yet then he, I mean, he's really on fire. Like, it's like there's just, no, you know, there's no there's no Westbrook to Beal right now. It's just, it's just Beal and, and DJ's Beal. Okay. PK will get a steal. He'll come down. He'll throw down and dunk. It'll happen. He might I'm comfortable the with the like secondary role. I've, I've always okay, been Scotty. comfortable in the background. That's just not true. <laughs> Depends on the scenario. You ought to see him in a crowded room. <laughs> I just want to see more effort and determination from these guys. How about that? Um, 100%. Last night was really bad. I mean, I came out of the first break and said to Ron, wow, well, they tried to see if they could win the easy way, and that doesn't yeah. look like it's going to work out. Okay. Um, and then in the second, when they suddenly tried what looked like what they then, you know, you would have thought they were going to come out and start playing as though they were reengaged is when then they allowed the huge run. Mm-hmm. Um there's a joke in the league that there's a bunch of players who, you know, on offense run uphill or downhill and on defense run uphill. We ran uphill in both directions last night. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have any fast break points through the first three quarters, which is not a great stat, but it still tells you a little something. And, you know, they were, they were running in transition at a very high level. The numbers off makes first misses last night was extreme. Um, the first quarter issue is offensive, not defensive. So in five of the last seven games, our offensive rating in the first quarter has been below 100. I mean, that's really bad. Um, the league average offense is about a 10, about a 111 right now, which equates to 111 points per 100 possessions. The worst offense, the best is 118. The worst is like 105 to Cleveland. And we're at a hundred under... A hundred, but we're actually not just that. If you actually look a little deeper, in four of the last seven uh, seven games, we're below ninety. So, it's an offensive issue. It's actually been going on for a little while. Um, and the other one that Ron Boone pointed out last night is right now we're only winning if we're incredible offensively. Um. You know, earlier this year, we kind of could win a game offensively, win a game defensively, depending on the night, what took place. And right now, it's only if we're elite offensively. The only games we've won recently against non-G League teams, our offense was in the top 10 performances it's been in all season. So um, Boston was our eighth best 
uh, or actually Boston was just our 16th best, but Orlando was our fourth best offense. Lakers was our sixth best, and Charlotte was our eighth best offensive nights of the year. So other than the Boston game, for us to win a game right now, we've had to be elite. Uh, Philadelphia without Embiid was our second best offensive game. We played the Clippers team that was pretty dismantled and the Houston Rockets team, which was not an NBA team. In between, we've lost most of the games, and our offense has not been through the roof. So did you see enough uh, discomfort, enough uh, frustration in the postgame to think that they're going to put the energy in this to turn this around, or will there be some more scuffling about and more up-and-down performances like we've seen over the course of the last 11 games here? They're 5-6. and six. Are we going to get more of that for a while, and then maybe down the road we'll see about the turning it around thing? So I can't really read Zoom. I don't know. I mean, there's just such a difference of being around. So I can't – I mean, the the question is, has somebody exposed something about the team that they don't have an answer to? Or is there something is there something that they have an answer to, right? So that, that would be the question. Is, did something happen in the middle of February where even though the Jazz were winning and they won five straight – in that stretch by like double digits and, you know, a million in a row by double digits. Did something happen in that stretch that somebody exposed something um, about the team and therefore, um, you know, people have an answer? I, I don't have that. I don't see it. There's not something to me that's there. So that would lead me to believe that, that it's a fixable issue, not an issue that um, – you know, teams are coming out of games early and trying to take Mike and Donovan away, and Boyan and Royce are not doing a lot offensively, and Rudy, so you, you know, Boyan's pretty vital there, I think, for for this team to kind of um, get going early offensively. Uh, so I think that's pretty important. Uh, on a defensive end for the season, um, after a made shot, we're the eighth-best defensive team, and after a missed shot, we're the seventh-best defensive team. And... Um, over turnovers, we're 26th, right? So there's where, like, that's always been a weakness. But if we go take it for the last, I don't know, give me a time frame if you want, like the last five or six games, or if you go to the last, you know, go back to the game against um, uh, Miami on the on this, on the 26th of February instead, which is kind of, you know, at least in my opinion, when I thought things started to, get a little less good and you look at what we are so defensively in that time period we're now you know one of the least good defensive teams in the league we're in the bottom 20 of def- 26 in the league defensively in that time we're 25th after a major and we're 18th after a defensive rebound they have completely collapsed defensively recently so when I covered Majerus all those years, one of the first things he would do when he'd get the box score handed to him is look at the field goal defense numbers. So uh, the other team's uh, field goal percentage, and now it translates to the huge defensive field goal, what they would allow. And I heard you on Gordon and Jake, but I only caught the end of it. So you were saying that uh, field goal percentage is a misleading stat, and we need to rethink that. Am I, am I accurate in saying that? Yeah, because half the shots count more than the other half. So the stat is equivalent field goal percentage. EFG, effective field goal percentage, equivalent field goal percentage, is a better number. The Jazz are number one in the NBA at that. Because when teams are, when 35 to 40% of shots count as three, 
then it's mm-hmm. a different, you know, it's a different number. Now, last night, to the credit of Washington, they they won the game from the two point range, which you don't see very often anymore. But they they certainly did. Bradley Beal, that's the evolution he's made in this game. He's becoming a an elite two point shooter, and Russell Westbrook got lucky. Um, and so, you know, last night, but even last night, their effective field goal percentage was fifty nine. Ours was fifty five. The night before was the game that really tells it against Boston because Boston's field goal percentage was better than ours, but we took like 20 more threes than they did, so we actually had a better shooting night than they did. So back in the day when it was mostly two-point shots and Majerus looked at that number, he wanted that number to be at 40% or down in the 30s. The higher it got over 40, the crankier he got. If it got to 45, he wasn't very happy. If he got to 50, he was furious. So effective right. field goal percentage, because you need to wait it for all these three-pointers. The game's really different than you know what Majerus was coaching in college in the 90s. What number would uh, make Quinn happy? What number would make him concerned? And what number would leave him furious? So, right, anytime we have these new statistics, you better have a base model number that makes sense to everybody, right? So the old number, we used to say 50% made sense for you know, whether you had a good offensive game or, you know, Majerus had a higher standard and college didn't shoot as well. So, um the the average in the league on effective field goal percentage is 54%. It'd be nice if it moved up one. It would just be an easy number to remember, but it's 54. So um, the Jazz are the best in the league at 51 defensively. So if you can keep, I mean, anyone under probably 52, you're having a pretty darn good game. If you keep anyone under 50, you're probably going to win almost every time. Um so I think those would be the you know the kind of the range there that same right. you know, if you just kind of take the same multi- multiples that um, uh, that Majerus was using kind of in forty forty five you know forty you're always going to win right in college so there's just no question um, I'm looking right now um, we've had oh, too many for me to look but we have not lost a game all year in which our opponent's effective field goal percentage was 51 or below. So we're undefeated in those games. We've only lost one game all year in which our team's, the opposing's effective field goal percentage was 53 or below. That was to Minnesota on the, you know, fourth game of the year. Um, And we've only lost two games all year in which our, was actually our opponent's, was it below 55? Effective field goal percentage was below 55. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, that's just a sign we're a really good offensive team, and so we don't actually have to be brilliant defensively. So, however, this is an interesting note to this conversation. This is great. Thank you, guys. If we allow over 55 uh, effective field goal percentage, we are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 1, and 9. So they on the TV broadcast they'll put those numbers up sometime and that's the frame of reference then. Fifty five, yeah, so you're fifty five you're getting into trouble. The closer you get to fifty, the better you feel about yourself. Down at fifty one yeah. or fifty two, the jazz are in great shape. Yeah, I mean below fifty we haven't lost, right? Mm-hmm. So below fifty we haven't lost, and below above fifty five we've only we're one and nine. And there that's it is. Great. Yeah. Nice right. job. On an offensive level, by the way. Um, we've only, we actually have lost twice above 55, but, um, one a ton. Like I don't, I can't, the chart I have in front of me doesn't give me numbers. Um, and if we drop below 55, we lose at a really high rate, actually. 
interesting. Okay, fifty-five is the magic number. There yeah, you go for offense. Yep, effective field goal percentage. And for those who are wondering how you figure out effective field goal percentage, you take the three-point shots, divide them by two, made, divide them by two. So if you make ten, add five to the field goals. Yeah, I'm not going to do the math. Because it's an extra point. I'll let Travis do the math in the truck and put it up on the screen for me. <clears throat> Thank yeah, you, Travis. They're not using as much as they used to, which is too bad. A lot of teams head that direction. I think they've kind of pulled back a little bit this year, which is a bummer because I do think that field goal percentage is, you know, Boston game's an example. Boston field goal percentage is better, so it's just not telling an accurate story anymore. 38 free throws last night was the big one. Washington just ran down our throat. We've heard and now. Uh, and the air effect in field goal percentage last night to this conversation was 59. Ours was 55. That's a defensive loss. So we've heard in the post game players talk about how, you know, we're the number one team in the league. Teams are going to be ready for us, blah, blah, blah. And we've heard the ex players on the broadcast say that stuff. How much truth do you think there is to that, that the Jazz now are the hunted? And so they are not matching what the other teams are bringing because the other teams are excited and all that stuff to play the number one team in a league. You don't buy it, do you? Well, they're not coming out with the intensity that I would like at the start. I don't know if it's the other team thinking, wow, we got a chance to make a name for ourselves. We're the Washington Wizards. We're 11 games under five let Let's get a little feather in our cap. How much is it the other team? How much is it the Jazz? Yeah, but, I mean, you're not buying the first concept. I can feel it. You're not buying that, like, the Jazz have reached Laker elevated status that the players are talking about. The teams are giving them, coming out and, per se, giving them their best shot. I think players understand that this team is really good that they're going against. But, I, I to me, it's not about the opponent. It's more about the the internal issues within the team as opposed to who they're playing. Uh, I think you're probably right. And I'm not sure, and, I, and I'll be perfectly clear, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that they're raw wrong in the opposing locker room. You know, going nuts. All right, we're going to go with the Jazz tonight. Yeah, okay, sure. yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I, I just don't think that actually happens in 82 games. Right, right. Um, I do think that we, last night, looked like a team that was trying to make, I said this, I mean, I think that, that we tried to play the easy route out last night. Yeah. Which is, you know, like, that sounds terrible. It's not uncommon, and it's, and it's, not, um, it's not awful. You, and it happens all the time in the league, and it's really normal that you come into a game and you're like, all right, let's see. And so maybe what we've just touched on is the real issue of what's going on with the Jazz. We're really good when we're really good. Uh-huh. We don't have LeBron, and we don't have Anthony Davis, and we don't have Kawhi Leonard, and we don't have Paul George, and we don't have Nikola Jokic. And if we're really honest about it, we don't have an MVP candidate. Like, we just don't have that guy. We don't really even have Bradley Beal yet, and we don't have Dame Lillard yet. Like, Donovan's terrific, but it's just his fourth year. So let's be honest about who he is and where he ranks in the NBA, which means – that when we do do what we did last night, which is take the easy route to start or not come with as much focus, everyone in the NBA does it, but they have another gear to go to because they have LeBron, they have Kawhi, et cetera, that list. 
And we don't actually have that. So as much as when we're great, we're great, our margin of error to be that great is much slimmer than the other teams in the league. And I think we probably saw it most glaring when we went up 3-1 against Denver and blinked. And then didn't really click back in until we were at down 18 or whatever it was in game seven. And then we were terrific again. But the discrepancy between when we're engaged and hitting at full throttle and when we're trying to sneak by or just a little off or fatigued is significantly more than most of the good teams in the league. He's David Locke here on the broadcast tonight. The Jazz are in Toronto to play, or in Tampa to play Toronto, and he will have the game for you on 97.5 The Zone tonight, 6 o'clock, pregame at 5. Thank you, David. Huddle up, guys. Wait, wait, wait. Come here. Huddle up. Just, just through. Okay. That was really brilliant. I'm in. That was that was a brilliant segment, guys. Unbelievable. We opened with humor. We made him laugh. Then we got in some deep conversation. Then DJ explained a stat nobody understands. And then I closed. <laughs> I mean, that was incredible, guys. High fives all around. Great segment. Way to go. Still comes back to what PK said. It's about the energy. Because you're right. There's a small margin of error. The the for the jazz line between winning and losing isn't very big. So there you go. Good work. Really Really the opposite of when the three of us get together. We just really never had a bad segment. <laughs> Thank you, David. All right, Kyle Whittingham's coming up in 11 and a half minutes. Other people might be a couple minutes late. Kyle will start speaking at the stroke of 8 o'clock or 12 seconds earlier. I'll try to like 7.59. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision giving you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. All right, I got a question up online. Who's going to win, Utah State or Texas Tech? We're a couple hundred votes in. Go to David DJ James to vote. PK, it's split almost down the middle. 52% 52% for the Aggies, 48% for the Red Raiders, who are San Diego State on steroids. A little bigger, a little taller, a little more athletic, but there to defend and rebound. Vote. Hmm. Vote, at David, vote at David DJ James on Twitter. All right, we're going to take a break. We're coming back with Kyle Whittingham. Stay with us. Kyle Whittingham is at the podium, his Zoom press conference. Let's listen in. Josh Furlong and Josh Newman. Kyle, how, how has the defense looked so far? I, I know that the pads haven't been on yet, but that's obviously a group where you uh, bring everybody back. Yeah, a lot of, lot of uh, returners there, talented up front, got a lot of uh, defensive linemen, quality defensive linemen, and uh, linebackers doing a good job. De- Devin Lloyd's the headliner there. We'll add uh, Ethan Calvert this summer to that group, which will make it even stronger. And then uh, secondary is much further ahead, obviously, uh, this year than we were last year at this time, where we were just getting a whole brand new group of guys ready to play this year. It's uh, guys that have had experience. So so defense is looking good. They're flying around and, and uh, playing a lot more man coverage uh, like we're used to and uh, should be a pretty good group when all is said and done. Josh Furlong, KSL.com, followed by Josh Newman. Hey, Kyle, sticking with the, the defense on that man coverage, how much of that was necessitated, uh, like the zone packages, because of, of COVID versus it's just kind of what you needed to do? And then how do you feel like uh, your group will be able to adapt to that man coverage? And what do you feel like you can do in this spring now that you didn't have that last year? Well, I'd say it was a combination of two things. The 
you mentioned, inexperience in, in the COVID situation, which led to us playing uh, more zone. And we did a nice job playing zone coverage. And, and you can do that. I mean, you don't have to play man coverage. That's just our choice and the way we choose to operate. But I uh, thought our guys last year got uh, very productive in their zone drops and their, and their matchup zones. And, and uh, But still, that's not who we are. We're traditionally and uh, going forward we'll continue to be a man coverage team. And that's uh, something that, that uh, as we said, without with the restrictions, uh, practice restrictions we had with COVID, uh, didn't allow us to, to work on that. And so we're excited to get back to, to who we are now. That being said, we had a really good year statistically last year. We were, you know, first or second in the league in most every major defensive category, which, which uh, I didn't see coming when you had uh, the amount of newcomers that, that we had playing. But uh, that's a credit to our coaches and the players, their development, and uh, how they handled their business. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune, followed by David James. Hi, Kyle. Good morning. Good morning. Um, the NCAA came out earlier this week and said that they hope to, you know, potentially vote on the one-time transfer policy as soon as April. Um, you sounded optimistic in the past that that would go through. Do you remain optimistic that that's going to go your way and that, and that your transfers will be able to play right away? Yeah, we are. And I think the rest of the country is, is pretty much in that same camp. I don't see it not happening. You know, just when you say that they could, they could, uh, pull a reversal on you, but, but there's so many guys that have already transferred uh, with that premise in mind that it's going to be uh, immediate eligibility situation. I think they would have a, uh, a real issue on their hands if they, if they don't continue to move down that path and make it official here when the vote does happen. And so, yeah, to answer your question, I, I see that being uh, the case and being uh, implemented um, when the vote occurs. And just to follow up, until that does happen, I mean, there is some uncertainty. Um, you know, does that do anything in terms of how many reps you give guys or, or what you're giving guys in practice, you know, the possibility that maybe they don't play in the fall? Not right now. What we're proceeding is if everyone's going to be eligible and, and developing everybody and, and uh, giving everybody the reps that uh, we feel they deserve and, and not paying uh, or not putting into the equation the, the transfer thing. That's, I just I think it's – it's uh, just too high of a percentage that will happen to, to alter what we're doing in practice. Next up, David James, followed by Bill Riley. Kyle, if Jaquindon Jackson doesn't win the starting quarterback job, does he have the skill set for you to put in a wildcat package? Could he be used that way? Absolutely. He's got the skill set to play uh, wildcat quarterback in about five or six other positions uh, on the field. But right now he is a quarterback and he's doing a nice job. We're only having a, you know, been here a short time and having a couple of practices. But, but uh, he certainly has the ability and the size, the speed, the quickness. I mean, six two plus and two hundred and thirty pounds. Uh, I haven't timed him yet, but my guess is he's he's uh, somewhere in the four five four six range. And so he had, he has a lot of uh, uh, skill set and uh, potential to play a lot of different things. Like I said, but. But for right now, we're not doing anything but uh, working with him as a just a standard quarterback and, and see what happens. Bill Riley from ESPN 700, followed by Steve Bartle from Zone. Kyle, how are uh, the two new running backs, Pledger and, and Curry, assimilating themselves? And, and how stylistically do they fit within your system? Are they similar backs? Are they a little bit different? 
and uh, and how have they kind of made that adjustment so far? Well, first of all, they're adjusting phenomenally. That their work ethic, their attitude has been outstanding. That's uh, just uh, been a a really good fit so far. Uh, they are different types of backs. Chris Curry is more of a a pounder. He's five uh, eleven, about two fifteen, and more of a physical uh, inside runner. Uh, TJ is more of a a scat back more like, uh, I don't know who to compare him to, but he's not, he doesn't have quite the size that, that Chris has. And it's a little more, di- a little different style running. Uh, what's been really pleasing is they are both very good in their blitz pickup and catching the ball out of the backfield. They, they seem to both be complete backs and be able to do everything we need them to. And then when you add Mackay Bernard to that mix, we think we're going to come away with a, a, a pretty good uh, position group at running back and, and a productive Steve Bartle from Uzone, followed by Trevor Allen from KSLSports.com. Coach, a lot of the talk about the freshmen last year revolved around Clark Phillips and Nate Ritchie, but you also signed um, some really impressive defensive linemen in Ben Fillinger and Xavier Carlton. What's what's their progress been like uh, over the year? They've continued to get better and uh, bigger as well. Van uh, and X are both over 260 when we got them there in the 240 range. And so they've added weight, good weight. Uh, their knowledge of the scheme has obviously increased, and they're both, uh, so far, doing a nice job. We're just barely getting into it right now, but, but they're much improved from where they were last fall. And you're right, we had uh, several guys in that class that uh, we think are going to be uh, very good players for us down the road. Fabian Marks, another kid, the, the corner. Uh, Zamaya Vaughn, the, the safety turn corner for now and uh, among others, offensive linemen that we really like. So, so we think that that class was uh, going to be uh, very productive and end up being a, a really good class when all is said and done. Next up, Trevor Allen. This is more of a uh, off-topic question, but uh, didn't get a chance to ask you it on Monday. Um, so over the offseason, uh, Urban Meyer was, was named the head coach of the Jaguars. Quinton Ganther joined him as an offensive assistant. And then uh, Brian Johnson was the quarterback coach of the Eagles. Just talk about of, of what it means to have, have those guys make that leap to the NFL. Well, excited to see what Urban will do in the NFL. I mean, that's a new challenge for him. It's an arena that he hasn't been in. And uh, it's, uh, you know, a leap, uh, not a leap of faith, but it's it's a – a situation where uh, it's all new because it is a, a much different uh, situation in the NFL than it is in college. So uh, excited to see, and I'm sure he'll do very well. I got no doubt about that. But uh, And then uh, Brian Johnson, uh, I think the NFL is a great fit for him. His temperament, the way he handles himself, uh, his style of coaching, I think is very well suited for for the NFL. And, and uh, he's going to be uh, working with uh, the Hertz kid, and I think that's a, that's a good uh, – pairing there and then uh who's the other one we talked about urban brian you mentioned one quinton one. ganther q oh sure q how could i forget q yeah q was doing a great job at weber state uh for several years uh he was a outstanding coach for for jay hill and the and the wildcats and and uh, i think he's got the right mentality as well and having had his experience in the nfl he knows what it's all about and he was an nfl vet of several years and knows exactly uh how that league runs and how that uh you know, how things operate. So I think he'll be a real asset to Urban. Josh Furlong, KSL.com. 
Kyle, with with your depth at quarterback right now, are are all quarterbacks live, or or are they being held out? And are there any other position groups where guys are being held out? Maybe like uh, senior type or upperclassmen type players. Well, so far we haven't had the pads on, so there's been no decision to make in that regard. But uh, we'll, we think we're going to make the QBs live at some point throughout spring. It won't be right away. And, uh, you know, we have six quarterbacks in the program that we really like. Uh, obviously, Cam is not practicing yet, as we've talked about, and won't be practicing at all through spring. Uh, but uh, we're going to see a little bit of live action, especially with the younger guys. We got we got the two seniors, and well, Cam's not a senior. The two older kids with Cam and Charlie Brewer, and then the four freshmen. And so, for sure, the four freshmen are going to get uh, live reps and see what they can do. As far as other guys, uh, you know, Devin Lloyd, Mika Tafu, we got some guys that have played a lot of good football for us that really don't uh, have anything else to prove as far as a scrimmage situation. So we'll make those decisions when the uh, when the scrimmages arise, which will start uh, towards the end of next week. But uh, as far as the QBs. Yeah, we're going to have some live work for the young guys, and, and we'll see uh, we'll see about Charlie. Our final question will come from Steve Bartle. Coach, you've also got a number of early enrollees in, from this class uh, that have joined the program. I think it's the most it's the most I've ever seen uh, early uh, enroll early. What's your first impression of the uh, the true freshmen that are up there now? Very, very positive. And you're right. I, I think this is the most that we've ever had uh, at the semester break and, and being available for spring ball. And, and they're all really doing a good job. Um, we're excited about the class. We're going to add another half a dozen. Well, actually, probably eight, eight more in the summer to that class that we uh, feel pretty good about as well. And so we think we had a, an outstanding uh, recruiting cycle the last uh, two or three. And uh, we're hoping that starts to manifest in the, in the year, you know, this right away in these coming years. And, and uh, that's what it's all about. I mean, if you recruit well, then usually you're going to have a chance to be pretty good if, you're, if your player development is where it should be. And so we're, we're excited about uh, the possibilities uh, coming up in the next few years. And there is Kyle Whittingham finishing his media availability Mondays and Fridays here on The Zone during spring football. That was a wide range of questions right there, PK. A little, a little different than Monday when everybody got their first crack at him in, in several weeks. Man, so much positive <laughs> at this point. I'm shocked if they don't go 12-0. and 0. <laughs> <laughs> It's all good. Everybody's undefeated. They don't even have the pads on. Incoming freshmen look awesome. They had a great recruiting class. The defense is solid. Everyone's returning. Uh, Jaquez, uh, how do you say his name? Jackson. Jaquindon Jackson. Play, he could play all 12 positions on offense. I was going through five or six <laughs> positions. What does that leave? I mean, defensive Center. back, wide receiver, running back, quarterback. I can get to four. Kick tight end. <laughs> He'd have to put on No, he, he could play tight end. end. Get him in a weight room. He's a good-sized kid. Yeah, he is listed geez. at 230. This is uh, like pretty much every program in the country right now this time of year. You're all excited. You're back out on the field, and especially after last season. You know, we've never literally obviously had a season like that. And at this point, it looks like they're on track to play all their games on schedule. Who knows when we get there? And keep our fingers crossed and pray and bless yourself or whatever you guys do to, to have that happen and take the precautions necessary, blah, blah, blah. 
So I can understand the excitement, particularly coming off uh, last season the way that was for the Pac-12, no less, you know, BYU, in uh, their tremendous wisdom, surged uh, and carried on and got in all but one of the games uh, that they would normally get, right? If they had a bowl game, they would play 13, and they played 12, so that was absolutely awesome. But for the Pac-12, you're playing four and five games, so that was crazy. So I understand the optimism going forward here, and and particularly why not for Utah. So everything's positive going on with the Utes right now. Whether that turns out to be the case remains to be seen, but uh, most especially we hope we'll be able to evaluate it week to week. So I understand why they would be excited. There's really no injuries to speak of, and they're just kind of going, not going through the motions now, but obviously they're not hitting with the pads not being on with the acclimation thing that you have to do. So exciting times. A lot of positivity, exactly the way I want it. (laughs) Nobody buys that, but thank you. Okay, well, so is the positivity I'm not selling it. How about the positivity around the defense being warranted? As Kyle said, it's so many new guys, you didn't think they'd be first or second in all the statistical categories. Now, as you point out, depending on the team, it was four, five, or six games. It was five for the Utes. So it's not a nine-game sample, but a five-game sample isn't nothing, and there should be more progress. Guys should continue to improve and all that stuff. Maybe that's a little positive, assuming guys are going to get better. But we've seen enough out of the defense. The questions really are on offense. With two receivers leaving, with the guy who won the job last year hurt, the guy who the two guys who played after he got hurt gone, an enormous question mark there. Question marks at running back, question marks at receiver. Tight end's the only skill possession position where there's any certainty. So that's where if you if you want to slow down the positivity and just hang a bunch of question marks on the wall and stare at them, that might be the way to go. Well, if you want to bring up question marks, sure, I understand that. You know, I, I would put Covey and uh, Solomon Enos in there as solids as far as them at their receiver position. So they're not completely barren and have nothing there. I wouldn't say that as much. And with Keithy being as versatile as he is, you can move him around. Uh, so sort of, you know, the hybrid in between tight end and uh, receiver wide out, you know, he's you can move him around a little bit. So they do have some weapons at the receiver position, but losing those two guys is a blow, no doubt about it. It's a blow right now, whether it's a blow in the fall and that next man up spiel that all coaches and all programs talk about. So we'll see if uh, people emerge. Jalen Dixon obviously coming back after uh, being off last season, and we know what he did, although he seemed like he only did it – well, he did it the best when his buddy Shelley was at quarterback. seemed like for whatever reason those guys, I believe they played together in high school, he looked for uh, Dixon more. But he is somewhat of a – not a completely, totally proven weapon, but he has some experience. Uh, Running back, yeah. uh, What I'm I'm going with on running back – is Utah's tradition of having great running backs. That right, That's where I'm at right now because I've got a freshman kid uh, who was down on the depth chart a little bit, understandably, because Ty Jordan, as great as Utah running backs have been, and they have been, so many of them, I had never seen a freshman that good. Unless I'm missing somebody. You're not. <laughs> I had never seen not, If you put the someone, qualifier freshman yeah. – 
I mean, Zach Freshman. Moss. Zach Moss was awesome at the end, but you know, at the start, yeah. he was running the wrong way at the goal line, right? I thought I saw something, but he didn't, and he got stuffed to Cal. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so and, and he is a real high watermark. I mean, that guy played at a high level for a long time for the Utes, but he didn't do it as a freshman. No, I don't know. I don't know that I've seen anybody in the state. Did Luke Staley? Luke Staley, who I Luke think was, was just Luke absolutely was, awesome. Luke was really unbelievable. Good. That would probably be if that's that would probably be the bar, and I'd have to go back and look because at this point the whole career blends together. Yeah, but I think he was good right out of the gate. Yeah, he was awesome. Just absolutely awesome. Yeah. Best runner I've seen in this state. He was a part-time starter as a freshman, and just kind of took over the job and was the guy right. from then that, on. That that seems to me what I remember. Uh, and then blossom into just a one. Does Jamal Williams runner. enter the chat at all in this? Yeah, I have to go back and look, but and it's just so Ty Jordan is so fresh in my memory. Sure, that it just seems like wow. And and the thing is, that he did it with limited carries against SC, and then everybody that week we got to get him the ball more, and they got him the ball more, and he was just unbelievable. Well, obviously we know what that tragedy happened and that what the situation is there. So now they've got one kid, Bernard, and then they got two kids who left other programs. And usually, in most cases, uh, you're leaving other programs because you're not getting the ball enough. Now, that doesn't mean they can't be good here. And then maybe they can be great. But right now, it's a question mark. And so I don't know. And, I, and I'm not going to be able to see it in spring because everything is closed this year. So and then I'm sure they're not going to open up fall camp. Uh, and that in that way, so we're going to have to wait and see. We can I can talk to people though and, and find out stuff. But then we'll all the great thing about it is we'll all see it on Saturdays. We don't need to be there at five thirty on Saturdays to make the evaluation of what we see on our five thirty on weekdays to make the evaluation of what we see on Saturdays. That's that's the test. We'll be able to grade it right there. But I'd have to think right now that's somewhat of a question mark because of what happened. Now, if Ty Jordan was returning, then it would be zero question mark. Probably in those other two kids, I don't know if they'd be there. And really, when you think about it, would they have transferred to Utah if Ty Jordan was there? Because you were going to feed him the ball as much as you possibly could the next two seasons. He's gone, unfortunately. And now what is to remain? Not sure. I don't know. I don't know how anybody could know. I think the thing with the running game and the history of the running game is so good, and it really comes down to how good is the old line going to be and how quickly is that all going to come together. You know, the, the evolution of Nick Ford playing everywhere continues. Now he looks like he's going to be the center. Yeah, he's uh, going to be, yeah. So, you know, what is, what is that going to look like? How quickly can they be good? How quickly can they be very good? How quickly can they be great? Can they be great? You know, can they get to that level? And running backs – as much as their individual talent matters, and it certainly does, they got to have a line in front of them. And the better the line gets, the better they're going to look. Every running back looks good when he gets to the second level without getting touched. You're five yards downfield, you haven't been touched, and your, your stats are going to look a lot better. It doesn't matter who you are. You can be journeyman or you know rising star or whatever. You're going to look better. So and what you say about the O-line, that's, uh, you know, TBD, and, and we'll all get to see in September. Uh, yeah, well, they got they got some returners there, so I'm expecting them to be at least halfway decent, maybe even better than that. Uh, I, I don't I don't think that that's going to be a major issue. I, I can't say that for sure, but I don't think so. 
And my guess is they'll find a way to run the ball because they always do. You're yeah. a Kyle Winningham football team. You can't run the ball? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that would just Next. be a shocker. Yeah, Next. A, I, I don't know that that's ever happened. They just have an assembly line of running backs over and over, and they got the kid out of Florida who's coming in, and maybe he takes it uh, by storm. Because at this time last year, we weren't saying, oh, man, Ty Jordan's going to be the guy. No, we were saying uh, Wilmore and, and Brumfield, and looking like, okay, you lose Zach Moss, obviously you're going to have a little bit of a hit. Turns out, actually, they didn't have any hit. Now, there was a short season, so maybe over the course of the long term they might have, but actually, when you look at it, the running game got better. I mean, by the time they were playing Colorado, the running game was as good as it's ever been. <laughs> Crazy to say, but that's Utah football for you. So I think in some respects, I am not going to doubt until they give me reason to doubt. All right, DJ and PK, more to come. You've heard from David Locke. You've heard from Kyle Woodingham. Ben Bolch covers UCLA basketball, beat writer for the L.A. Times. UCLA's playing BYU Saturday night in prime time. You may have seen the Bruins. We're going to try and get him, and he, he's given uh, he's got some stuff going on. and so he, Well, he was up very late. He was. So, uh, but Yach thinks we might be able to get him next, and if not, we might be able to get him at 9 o'clock. So, Jason, Jason Ben out there to get a lowdown on the BYU-UCLA matchup. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. March Madness is here, and now it's time to put that college basketball knowledge to the test. It's the Zone Bracket Challenge, where you can compete against the Zone hosts as well as Zone listeners. Oh my goodness! Log on now to 1280zonebracket.com to fill out your bracket for a chance to win a Nordic Track X22i bike. Valued at over $2,000 as well as other great prizes. It's the Zone Bracket Challenge, going on now at 1280zonebracket.com. Presented by the store, SNS Roofing, Bullfrog Spas, and Elite Works. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Zero Res. Dirt, dust, dander, and allergens are no match for Zero Res carpet cleaning. Want the contaminants gone? Call Zero Res. Right now, just $33 per room to get your carpet Zero Res clean, but minimum supply. Call them at 801-288-9376 or schedule online Zero Res carpet cleaning. All right, we're going to talk with uh, Ben Bolts, UCLA Bruins beat writer for the LA Times. At some point... Possibly momentarily, Yach shrugs and says, we'll see. They won last night. They beat Michigan State in overtime. And PK, we've seen them in the Pac-12 all year. But as they have evolved with injuries and all that, they aren't the biggest UCLA team you've ever seen. They are not the most athletic UCLA team you've ever seen. But they're good, and they don't beat themselves. So it feels like if BYU plays well, they could certainly win this game. If they make mistakes, if they come out nervous because it's the NCAA tournament and they don't handle the ball, UCLA is going to jump all over them. I'm thinking. I know you are. You're debating. But I just look at them, I think, they're well coached. They don't make mistakes and don't beat themselves. But this is not the biggest, most athletic UCLA team you've ever seen. And you can probably put some of that on injuries. And also the coach being early on, let's see who he recruits, especially when he has a little tourney success. Yeah, I think the 64 Bruins were the biggest, tallest that I've ever seen. I really don't think you think that. That's not true. <laughs> Walt Hazard and Gail Goodridge. It was probably the <laughs> least guys. athletic, smallest of all those Wooden's championship teams, and let's not break that down. 
but you did uh, it on purpose. You know you did. That was very uh, well done. When you have uh, Greg Lee and Bill Walton teaming up in, in uh, 73, <laughs> I mean, I don't yeah. top that. Bring Pete Turgovich back. Uh, I think this was the best game I've seen them play. You know, I've seen I, – obviously, I watch a lot of Pac-12 basketball during the season, mm-hmm. and, and I thought, man, that was just a – it was really, really an impressive effort by these guys. Let's bring in Ben Bolts, UCLA Bruins beat writer for the L.A. Times. Ben, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, just as you were coming on, we were talking about the UCLA-Michigan State game, and PK just said, having watched a lot of UCLA basketball this year, he thought that was the best the Bruins have played this year. You are the beat writer and have to watch them all. What do you think? Uh, I would say definitely during the comeback. stayed by 30 points. They had a pretty complete game against Utah not too long ago uh, that I would say was probably better than that. But certainly uh, an in-state tournament game against a very tough opponent uh, to come back when it looked like you're buried in the first half, it might have been the gutsiest. I would say maybe it was the gutsiest game and showing of the year for UCLA. A lot of emotion in that game that they expended do you have any concern with all the energy and emotion that they would be able to rally on a quick turnaround? Um, well, I mean, this was a team that was, you know, kind of due, so to speak. They'd, they'd had those four crushing losses uh, when they were ahead. Uh, and just kind of flipped the script, right, where they were down big. I think they were down 14 or down 11 at halftime. Um you know, nobody was really giving them a chance. Shots weren't falling except for Jaime Hawkins, who had an amazing game. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was impressive that, uh, you know, they were able to do that. Now they're going to have to, as you, you alluded to, short turnaround just 48 hours here before that, or even less than 48 hours before that uh, next game against BYU. So the big question today is the status of uh, Johnny Juzang. He really came through in overtime with two two big shots to give UCLA that lead, and then uh, went down with another ankle injury. Uh, he missed a recent game against UNC with it, that same ankle hurting him. Uh, good sign for UCLA. I think he was kind of moving around and celebrating with them after the game, but he had to basically be carried off the court. Uh, it looked really bad there for a while. So today we'll get an update on that, and that'll be a big factor going into the game. The Cougars obviously have a lot of size, and Harms at 7'3 is, uh, is a hard matchup for a lot of people. People have defended him different ways, and sometimes he does you know, disappear and not put his imprint on games. Other times he's really impactful. Do you think the whole defense collapses? Do you think they try to play him straight up? Have they, been at a, have they had to face anybody like this? Is there anything to go on? Yeah, they they faced a couple seven footers. You know, Evan Mobley for USC seven foot, not not quite as big, but uh, you know, they. I think what they're going to have to do, though, and certainly I'm not McLaurin, but uh, I don't think they can let other three point shooters and and, and uh, others beat them. So I would imagine they would try to maybe go straight up. You know, that maybe sometimes they have doubled in the post before, but I know that they don't want to get beat at the three point line. Uh, as well, so maybe they'll, maybe they'll start out one way and, and see how it goes and, and adjust accordingly. But you know, this is a UCLA team that doesn't have a lot of link uh, in the post, uh, particularly with Jalen Hill out and their 
far and away their best rim protector. So that will be interesting to see. Do they, do they double down there or do they, do they play straight up and, uh, and try to take away a three-point line? As I watch that game, you spoke of the two guys who played so well offensively, and you look for, well, can they repeat that? And we'll see what Juzang's position is. But if I'm looking for guys who can give me more offensively against the Cougars, I think I can point to Campbell. He didn't really have a big-time game. Can I expect more from him offensively against BYU? Yeah, uh, he's been stuck in kind of an extended funk here where he really hasn't made a big impact on the last handful of games. He did make a a huge three-pointer as part of that comeback. Uh, But other than that, he was very, very quiet. And then I think it's an astute observation on your point that, you know, he's going to have to be a lot more involved offensively for for UCLA to win this game. Um, You know, it's interesting. They they got those two huge games from uh, from Heine Hawkins and – and Johnny Juzang, and, and maybe a few scattered contributions from other guys, but nothing really sustained. Uh, and that's, not, that's probably not going to be a winning play at BYU. I think they're going to need to have, you know, three or four guys who's solidly in double figures to win. You know, you're the beat writer, so you're around the team, but in the Zoom era, you're not actually around the team the way you would be in any other given year. And I wonder if you have a good read on um, emotionally how these guys are? Do they turn the page on a win and it's on to the next game? Do they sit thinking about the last game too long and not get ready for the next one? What kind of roller coaster are these guys likely to ride, if one at all? Yeah, you know, i got to give them credit. They were pretty resilient during that uh, stretch I talked about recently where they had four losses, where they, they could have won all four games. And I felt like they did kind of turn the page and, and move on and play well to at least start the next game, but uh, you know, Mick Cronin kind of acknowledged after that game that he, he, he really thought they needed that, 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 that win to kind of put all that behind them. And, and now they've got their confidence back. They can just kind of get back to playing basketball, worrying about closing the season with, you know, five consecutive kind of disasters. Uh, not Try not to overstate that there. But, uh, yeah, it, it's important. And, and now I think they will have – kind of a spring in their steps, so to speak, uh, going into this BYU game. Yeah, well, you, you look at this season, man. They've had to deal with a lot, you know, a couple. Of, I think they started, what, 12-2, and two, something like that, and then they had a couple of injuries, and then they lose the four in a row, and they get beat early in the tournament, and then with a tremendous rally. As far as being on an emotional level, this team has been facing just about all sorts, uh, everything you can imagine, all sorts of stuff this season. Is it easy for them now to just roll with it? Because it's like, well, we've already been through the worst. Yeah, I think so. It's a good point. I mean, you know, they lost the guy who's considered the best player, Chris Smith, on the final day of uh, 2020, a down the knee injury, and then Jalen Hill, as I alluded to earlier, leaves personal reasons in February. And that really changed a lot because that, that put uh, – Change your whole defensive rotation. They got Jaime Hawkins setting power forwards at 66. Uh, you can see how that's kind of worn him down. Obviously, he had a great game the other night, but it's been games where he has not really put his imprint on the game because I think he's beaten up so much defensively. Uh, so all credit to him with that that big showing the other night. But you're right; it's been a, it's been a roller coaster season. I mean, they could have easily started the season 0-2. They needed triple overtime to beat Pepperdine, and they were facing an 0-2 start, and they. Win their first eight uh, Pac-12 games 
uh, and, and it looks like they're rolling, and then, you know, the, the, those bumps start happening. So a very resilient group, and, uh, you know, I think they, they will be in a good place mentally uh, come Saturday night. For so many years, we've seen so much pressure on UCLA and how they perform in the NCAA tournament. Mick Cronin's pretty pretty early on in his tenure. Is there a lot of pressure on him this year, or given a couple injuries and how early he is in his tenure, is it not that big a deal? Or is it always a big deal at UCLA, and there is a lot of heat on him? No, I don't think there's any heat uh, on him at all. I mean, I, I think he was basically in the running for Pac-12 Coach of the Year until the final uh, day of the regular season. If they beat SC and Oregon loses to Oregon State, uh, you know, UCLA Pac-12 regular season champion with uh, a shorthanded roster. So, Obviously, you know, fans weren't happy with the way the regular season and the Pac-12 tournament went, uh, or the way the, Pac- the, the regular season ended, I should say. But, uh, you know, I think this, this game, uh, getting back in the win column and in the tournament, uh, is a huge first step for him at UCLA. They've got some talent, uh, really high-end talent coming in the next two years. they got the top player in California uh, coming in each of the next two years. So I think that's when... You know, those, those expectations and that pressure will start to ratchet up on Mick Cronin, but I, I read the fan base right now as that they're fully uh, on board with what he's doing. They shot 50% from three against Michigan State. Is that something you're confident that they can repeat? Uh, no, that's a little bit of an outlier. This is, uh, I think statistically it is one of the better three-point shooting teams in the, in the Pac-12, but uh, they can be pretty streaky. Uh, Tiger Campbell ma- making that three was huge. Uh, you know, Jaime Hawkins and, and Johnny Juzang were, were also kind of on fire from there. Uh, you have to excuse my GPS in the background here. I'm driving to, to Indianapolis as we speak. Uh, but, um, yeah, it, it, it's, I don't know about 50%, but I think they can, uh, I think they can shoot at a fairly high level uh, and, and try to keep that game close, because they're going to have to, right? I mean, Vic Cronin says they have to make shots, but that they're not uh, one of these great defensive teams. So that'll, that'll be a key thing to watch. So what are one of the, speaking of key things to watch, what are one of the one or two things you're going to watch early in the game to know if the Bruins are on track and how this thing might play out? I think I'm going to be watching their defense a lot. I think, you know, BYU, I watched that uh, Gonzaga uh, uh, tournament game there a week or so ago, and I was really impressed by them. If they come out with that kind of start against UCLA, I think they can, they can really bury UCLA early. So I think UCLA, they can't fall behind like they did against Michigan State uh, and count on coming back again. I think if that happens, again, uh, it's going to be a very long night for UCLA. So I think they have to be uh, right there at halftime, uh, you know, and not have a double-digit deficit that they're going to have to come back from. Ben Bolts, UCLA Bruins beat writer for the LA Times, on his uh, on his way to Indy. Ben, thanks for joining us, and thanks for giving us a little peek ahead to UCLA and BYU. All right, looking forward to the game. Thank you so much. Yep, thank you. All right, UCLA and BYU, primetime Saturday night. PK seems like an opportunity. You've covered a lot of these matchups. You've been there. There have been a lot of matchups where you knew that athletically it was going to be an uphill battle for BYU. This doesn't feel quite as intimidating. It doesn't mean they're going to win the game. They could lose it. But it doesn't feel like there's a big hill to climb like there were in some of the other matchups they drew where there's a kind of feeling like, well, 
They got a puncher's chance, but this is going to be really hard. This feels a little different. I would agree with that. I would equate it to uh, Steve Cleveland's two years, his second. He made three NCAA first uh, appearances. The first one, you know, when they won the conference was 20 years ago, and they just were celebrating. It was such a monumental uh, accomplishment, if you recall, right? I think they beat New Mexico in the final, and the program had sucked, and they got he got them there, and that was it. They were like these Big West, Big Sky teams and those other conferences on the other side of the country. You, we got to the NCAA tournament. It's a smashing success, no matter what happens. And they went out and got smoked by Cincinnati, right? Well, then, a couple years later, they're in a much better position as a program and a spot, right? So they play uh, Syracuse and UConn, or UConn and Syracuse. I'm not sure which order it was, right? Big-name programs, much exactly like this program with – the Bruins are a big-name program. I mean, they're probably never going to come close to recapturing John Wooden. But they're still a big-name program, right? Well, BYU now, comparing to those two BYU teams, it's not about just being here. They've known for a good while. This program under Mark Pope, he's two for two as far as establishing it as an NCA program. Clearly they would have gone last year, right? So with that in mind, expectations are to win. So I see a lot of similarities. You're going up against a storied program, but you feel very confident about your ball club, and it's not just happy to be there, and that's where you're settling. You're not settling for the happy to be there like Steve Cleveland's first team was 20 years ago when they went in and got beat by Cincinnati. And if you recall... Both of those games, UConn and Syracuse, came right down to the end. Mm -hmm. And BYU didn't come out ahead on either of those games, but they were right there. That's what I think will happen. I'm not saying that they won't come out ahead. They won't win the game tomorrow. That's not the point. The point is setting up to what I expect. BYU is not just happy to be here. And they have an opportunity to win this game. And it prop, I wouldn't be surprised if it came right down to the end. And I, I really think, as you said either uh, earlier with Ben here in the interview, Harms, man, go to work. Get, get going, man. Try your best to be dominant. Even if you don't have the skill set, try your hardest to be dominant. Because you you can really make an impact on this game. There's no reason why you don't. And then of course the BYU shooters they're gonna have to have to gonna have to have success from the three, and that's not really uh, uh, the Bruins game as much. But for the Cougars, they're gonna need to do that. So I'm excited to see this game. BYU's a three and a half point favorite in this game. They've set the line now after UCLA's win over Michigan State. And the over-under is set at 138, so that means Vegas, that would be the equivalent of a 70-68 to 68 game. You know, first, first team to 70 wins, which, given the pace these teams play at and the way they've defended, I would think if you get to 70 points, you probably do win this game. UCLA is in the 300s in terms of pace of play. They play very slow. And BYU similar this year has been much right. slower than they have been in the past. Right, we've seen like the 65-51 game with St. Mary's, that kind of stuff. So, all right, there it is, DJ and PK. Stay with us. More in a moment, 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Got a poll question up on Utah State and Texas Tech. Who's going to win that game? That game tips off in three hours. Hit us up at David DJ James. Vote away. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. 
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning, brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Got the poll questions up this morning. NCAA tournament. Local team's going to be one and done. They're going to advance. 54% of you are picking Utah State to beat Texas Tech. Be a mild upset. Aggies have been uh, four-point underdogs there. BYU a slight favorite over UCLA. Just put that poll question up. Is BYU going to beat UCLA and go to the round of 32 for the first time since Jimmer? Yep, 64% of the vote. Nope, 36% of the vote. Odds makers have BYU as a slight favorite. It's notoriously difficult to pick this stuff, PK, because it's one game. Somebody gets hot. Somebody gets in foul trouble. Everything changes. Do you have a strong gut feeling about either one of these, or these are the kind of NCAA games you want to see because you figure with five minutes left, we're really not going to know for sure who's going to win. There's going to be some tension and some drama. I think that's what's going to be the case. The latter, as you say, I believe the seeds are irrelevant. Now, Jazang is out, and he got hurt late, and they did help him off the floor. Uh, his loss would make a significant difference and give a huge advantage to BYU. But he was involved in the celebration uh, in terms of coming out. You know, they kind of run towards half court a little bit if they're down at the other end when that game was over. And he had a smile on his face. He's moving around a little bit. So I'm going to go on the assumption that he plays. But this situation with the NCAA tournament, it's really unlike anything we have in sports because you ride these emotional highs and lows during the season unless you're Gonzaga and it's been just exclusively a high, right? But the rest of the teams, or in the case of the the two local teams, Utah State and BYU, there's a lot of emotion going in, both of them losing in the conference final, but knowing that they're going to get an NCAA bid. At least I thought uh, Utah State was going to get in, and they did get in. And then yet you you take the floor, and then when it ends, it is so sudden, and there is such an empty feeling if you're on those teams, and you try to avoid that at all costs. It's like, it's almost to the point where you try to avoid that feeling more than the feeling of winning (laughs) because it is such a brutal feeling, and it comes so quick. You know, at least in a a, a series or in a Super Bowl or an NFL playoff or whatever, there's a buildup for a whole week toward it. And you know that that's going to be the final game, blah, blah, blah. And in the seventh game, if you get to that in basketball, you've had two weeks. Well, here, you don't have that. You know, you sit and you sit and you wait, and then you get out on the floor, and then it could end. So for the Cougars and Aggies, they're going to try not to have it end. They're going to try to extend it. And I believe if both teams are on, there's really no reason why they don't win. And maybe I'm not giving Texas Tech credit. Now, I have to be fully acknowledging that I don't see them play much, whereas the Pac-12, with the Bruins, I see them play a lot. And I know they've had a couple guys uh, taken out of their lineup here. So, And obviously we watch BYU a ton. So I really think the Cougars have an opportunity. And I think it's important for them because there's been a lot of positive emotion and enthusiasm that Mark Pope has brought. But we got this morning, we're talking about the jazz, right? You read some of the comments on Facebook and Mm -hmm. it was basically to paraphrase on some of them, paraphrase on some of them. Oh, same old jazz. Here we go. Mm -hmm. Well, I think if the Cougars lose in the first round, it's going to be, all right, same old Cougars. Here we go. And even to that extent for the Aggies, because 
they haven't won a tournament game in a long time. So I think it's important for the establishment of both programs to break through and get a win, particularly BYU, because you are higher seeded if that means something to you. Yeah, and I think that, uh, and this is kind of looming out there, we can get to it next week and see how it plays out, but I don't know how much Utah State can build on this because there's just tons of speculation about, you know, Craig Smith getting a a Power 5 job, Minnesota's open, and he's got roots there, and he's coached in that area in South Dakota. And so even if they do win, if he takes that job or if he takes another one, then can you build on it? I think it's more what you said for Utah State. They haven't won in 20 years, so winning a tournament game, regardless of what happens next, is a big deal, and it needs to be celebrated in the Cache Valley like the big deal it is. Because it's hard to win these tournament games, and it's hard to win them when you're not in a Power 5 league and you're probably not seated well, and sometimes you're seated poorly. And this is, this is doable. This isn't you're, – you're right. The, the history of a 6-11 game or 7-10, 8-9, those are all doable matchups. You know, it's way more about the matchups than it is about the seating. Uh, you know, and with Mark Pope, you know, can they build on it? What will it mean for him? We know he's going to go back into the transfer portal. We just we know he is. And so is he able to get a different type of player going into the transfer portal if they win a game or two in this tournament? Yes. How much can he can he build off of that? And I don't know if you've seen it this morning. You may have seen it on social media last night. Uh, they were getting ready because everybody's getting tested, right? And so they were getting ready to go in the room to test, and they had a little – and he's running and jumping and bumping guys, and everybody's got some dance or some move going down the line. It's all high energy, and they're screwing around and having yeah, a good yeah. time. Jim and sh- Rome's going nuts retreating it. Yeah. Right, and sure enough, ESPN's playing it this morning. And so you know, the guys who are transferring are seeing this. And you can say they're just screwing around. It's not even the day of the game, and it doesn't matter – but in some ways it probably does. You know, it gets BYU's name out there. It looks like, oh, I'm in a program where the coaches are yelling at me and I'm not playing and that place is fun and Mark's going to tell them how much they're going to play. And They're using that moniker, the best locker room in America, and trying to back it up, obviously, with what they're doing. Well, how about a locker room that leads to winning in the NCAA? That would right? be, there that would you be go. very beneficial. <laughs> you, you can do that. They're not talking about, yeah, we're the challenging for the Sweet 16 every year. Herm Edwards is always telling us, yeah, we recruit nationally because you suck at recruiting locally. <laughs> so, you know, sell what you got, right? Right. And they, the, the Cougars can't sell uh, the NCAA tournament success. So I don't think Mark Pope is going anywhere in the short term. Right. And yeah, I think this is huge for him because if he gets an opportunity to win a ball game, then he's got a big time selling card. And we'll see about if they win the ball game, then the second game, uh, uh, what would be on Monday, I guess. And mm-hmm. we'll worry about that then if it comes to pass. So go ahead and sell it because then you could sell. Yeah, geez, look, at, we would we would have won last year. Hey, come on, that team was better. I, I won. I, I got to the uh, round of thirty-two with this team. Son, come here, man. Yep. They let the crowds back in. We got one of the best student sections in the country, and overall attendance, we are on a, a bad game. We're putting in fourteen thousand, and this is a yeah. big deal on our campus. He's got a lot to sell. The only thing he doesn't have to sell right now is an NCAA tournament win. Go get one, and I think that opens up even more of a transfer market too. And he's already 
Well, he's he's a winner in the transfer market. To, to get Harms to come and turn down the schools that he did and to get Barcelo like he did, that's just huge. And then this last season, Averett, obviously, big time, man. Absolutely. And, and he's got a ton of enthusiasm and charisma. He just does. He's one of these guys that it's fun to cover because – he just treats everybody like they're their, his best buddy and all that stuff. Well, you got to back it up and don't fall flat here. Big, big game. And for the Aggies, yeah, your program uh, celebrating the Cash Valley, and I would extend all the way up to Preston, Idaho. There it is. Go beyond. Go across the border celebration, you know, like you used to do when the age was lower in Tijuana. Yeah, we know what you were, what you were doing there. We won't say anything, but we get it. We know what was going on when you crossed the border. It's like, you know, what happens in Tijuana? Where do you think Vegas got that expression? Well, they got it from DJ in Tijuana, obviously. So go ahead and celebrate wildly, and you're probably going to lose Craig Smith. I had a, an Aggie fan reach out to me yesterday, longtime listener of ours, it's, it's a lady, and she's saying, can we possibly keep him? Well, I would probably say no, no. because money yeah. talks. Yep. And this guy's dynamic in his own right here. And so will he move on? Well, you can, you can surmise yes, but enjoy it in the, in the short-term run and worry about that when it comes to pass. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. What happens on Avenida Revolucion stays on Avenida Revolucion. <laughs> Revolution Avenue? Yeah. Yeah, go to Google Maps and check it out. You say you want a revolution? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I think teams are just playing more physical. I mean, just got to be more precise. You know, when a team, you know, wants it more, and, and it, like tonight, I think they just wanted it. They played last night. They played a tough game last night, and they you couldn't tell by the uh, way they played. So um, for us, we just got to be able to hone in and focus. Um, teams are going to go out there and, you know, try and come at us, you know, whether it's through physicality or energy, whatever it may be. Um, we just got to be ready for it. And we ha- I can't say we have been uh, for the past few games. There's Donovan Mitchell. PK, there were a lot of truths spoken in the post-game Zoom session last night. When those will be translated to action on the court is an open question. Many Jazz fans are hoping the correct answer is Tonight in Tampa against Toronto. But Washington did play like the more motivated team, like they wanted it more. Uh, There were other things that came out of that. Uh, Joe Ingles had a couple of good lines. One of them was, um, he was talking about all the mistakes at uh, at both ends of Florida. He says, you know, if we keep doing this, it's going to be a long second half of the season. Yeah, he did. And then the other thing he said is, you know, we do the right things at both ends of the courts. Paraphrasing here, he said, we're a pretty good effing team. Also, Rudy Gobert, and I just couldn't help but think of you sitting on the bleachers talking to him because Rudy, in this regard, hasn't changed a bit. You know, what's the problem? He says, we're not tough enough. <laughs> we're just not tough enough. And he also said, um, kind of addressing an air of entitlement or accomplishment because they have the best record in the NBA, because they won 20 out of 21 with those 9 and 11 game win streaks sandwiched around that Denver loss. And Rudy said, we haven't accomplished bleep. You don't get a trophy for having the best record in the NBA on March 19th. And despite their recent woes and going 5-6 and six in the last 11 games and looking really bad in some of the wins, actually, and then also obviously struggling in the losses, uh, they still have the best record in the NBA. But you don't get a trophy for that. And, Rudy, we haven't accomplished bleep. 
Now, I'd agree. When, yeah, I'd, I agreed with all that stuff. It's just, okay, now you realize it. You realize it to the point you can now say it in a Zoom session. So when does it translate into coming out in the first quarter and not turning the ball over? During the third quarter of that game, when Royce O'Neal knows Donovan Mitchell is on his left, but either doesn't, well, he didn't make eye contact with Mitchell and know where he was, and he whips a no-look pass, and Donovan's not running at the pace Royce thinks he is, and he just throws the ball out of bounds, and they cut to Quinn, and Quinn's head just drops, and he just kind of like pulls the mask up over his face a little more. I mean, that said it all. There was no defense that did that. And it was just one guy throwing the ball out of bounds, and the other guy not running hard enough to get to the spot where his teammate thought he was going to be. It was pretty basic stuff, and they couldn't do it. Well, if that said it all, then we're in trouble because, I mean, we talk for a living. <laughs> so I would hesitate, hesitate so they say, to say that. that said it all. Yeah, because yeah, then that just leaves us you know, wordless, and we can't be wordless. No, we if we sit here quietly. Words. You know, I did work in college radio with someone who screwed up and there was a lot of dead air, and they defended it by saying, well, some people like quiet. I'm like, yeah, those people turn off the radio. Come on. You know. You can pause for dramatic effect. I don't Absolutely. They, they're saying all the right things, but I'm sick of it. That, that game, of all the losses, that game got under my skin right from the start, and it is worse than any game that's got under my skin this entire season. It really, really bugged me because you could just sense a casual attitude and you can't be casual about anything when it comes to this stuff. You just can't. You have to be intense. Intensity, I'm not asking for, you know, you know what to the walls and just have the utmost intensity and be diving for loose balls like there's no tomorrow because there is a tomorrow and tomorrow's today. But you've got to find somewhere in between that and just a total casual attitude. And you just felt like, at least I did, and this is my thought watching the game, is that, oh, yeah, we can get down by 10. We did the same thing against Boston and came back and turned it on. And it's like their success, in a way, is almost drowning them in that we're really good and we know we're really good, so we can turn it on and get going. Dangerous. Always dangerous. It's like their success is in a, in a bizarre way is coming back to haunt them a little bit. I totally buy that. I buy that. And I think that uh, while I don't want that uh, crazy intensity, because I don't know that you can sustain that through the rest of the regular season and then two months of the playoffs, just sure. some focus on the basics. You know, looking for your teammate before you throw him the ball so you don't throw it out of bounds. Jordan Clarkson had a turnover late in the game. He had the ball on the right side, and he started to drive, and the defense started to close on him. He made the right play, threw the ball into the, uh, the guy in the corner, and I forget who it was. And whoever it was, uh, it might have been, been the Ang or Royce. Whoever it was started to go left, and Clarkson just drifted out of bounds. He didn't get pushed. It wasn't his momentum. He just kind of jogged out of bounds. And then the guy turns to throw him the ball back, and he's trying to get in bounds. He doesn't reestablish himself. I mean, just a complete unforced error. Just when you're running, stay in bounds. That's all we ask. It's, it's not too much to ask. No. You know, it's really basic. And so even if they don't have that super intensity you talk about, just a little focus on the basics would make a big deal, a, a big difference. It would be a big deal. I agree. All right, Rick wants to chime in. You think Rick's going to be over the edge here? Is Rick going to lose it? I think he's going to bring it strong. He's going to bring intensity. Rick, the dishwasher, good morning. 
I'll bring the intensity. <laughs> hey, it's uh, it's totally related to Donovan. Donovan, the first half, even when we were playing great for 30 games, we were behind in every game in the first half. And you're right, every good team kind of has the attitude, you know what, let's try to outshoot them since we're the best shooting team. And then if we have to play defense, let's bring it in the you know, fourth quarter. Detroit used to do that a lot. It was a different game then. But Donovan, holy cow, he just shuts every part of his game. On offense, he gets the ball, and if ball stops moving. Hold it four seconds, and now we've limited our options. We can't go through the offense because he's in slow-mo motion. He's not He's not intent. And remember, I'm talking about the most talented player ever to come to Utah. I'm not slamming him. He's a great kid, a great leader. But, dude, he has got to bring it in the first half because athletically – we have a gold defender, the best in the league. Other than that, we don't, we can't defend well. I mean, even Rice, who's a great foot defender, doesn't get steals, doesn't get blocks. He's the only one who can defend his position. So when you get beat off the dribble, Rudy's got to make a decision, take the ball, or they just dump it to the, you know, his guy. So it, it, it all traces to Donovan. I mean, Donovan's in the first half, can be inefficient, a turnover machine. He slows it down way too much. And in the playoffs, he didn't do that. He brought it right from the whistle. And the Jazz will probably do that. But if they blow this this uh, number one seed, that's a bad sign. It'll be hard to do that. But All right, there you go. Thanks for the call. Sniggy, you're up, man. I always let a basketball mind be followed <laughs> by a basketball mind. Donovan, it would help if he had better first halves. I mean, it's we've seen it so many times, and you brought it up multiple times, PK. Number of times he goes into the locker room with six points. Get involved early. You don't have to dominate the ball, and absolutely the ball needs to move without question. There, a lot of these turnovers are happening off the dribble. Defenses are collapsing on him. They got to pass the ball. Get the blender going. Even if you hate the term the blender, the ball's got to move. It's got to move. All right, yeah, when they are losing, we're going to identify and nitpick and somewhere in between those two categories. I understand that. You know, we saw it again, turning it on with 19 points or whatever it was in the in the fourth quarter or third quarter, and so he went nuts again. We would like to see some more consistency there. But let's spread it around a little bit, and let's have Bogdanovich give us what we think he's capable of giving from the Jazz perspective. And right now it's not happening. I expect you to make open threes. Not every single one of them, but I expect you to make – I mean, I'm totally wide open threes. I'm expecting you to make at least half of them. And it's not happening. And right now, i got to say, when he puts the ball on the floor, my anxiety level goes (laughs) up. (laughs) We should be able to see your pulse during a game. That would be good. I should be able to see Quinn's pulse during a game. That would be great. And I think that uh, teams know, hey – he can be loose with the ball. We can smack it away. So when Bogdanovich puts the ball on the floor, let's go after it, especially early. Get him off his rhythm because it's not happening. It's not happening consistently for him. It's not happening as consistently as it did last year. And that is impacting the team. And it's obviously more noticeable when they lose. It's not as noticeable as you win. You know, wins cover up zits, as they say, all the warts and all that stuff. And when you lose, they don't cover them up nearly as much. They're exposed. So, sure, 
Donovan have some more consistency in the first half, particularly when you're getting behind. I mean, it's got to wear on these guys to look up and be 31-21 after the first quarter. That's got to be hard on them that uh, just mentally we got to fight back. Because if I can see it sitting on my couch uh, 3,000 miles away, I would think that they would be able to notice it where they are in the moment. It's like, oh, here we go again, man. I'm not a big jump on them, but at least maintain, stay with them. Don't give these teams that are out man so much individual confidence in the moment. Because for them, I mean, for for the Wizards, every single win is monumental because they don't get that many of them. So go ahead and take advantage of it. And that's what the Washington Wizards did. And, yeah, they got two prolific guys and all that stuff, but it just bothers me. It bothers me that you're not given the kind of effort that I expect. And so I I have to say, though, when this has happened, like I thought they were going to be in trouble in Boston. I probably would have predicted an L, and then they won it. And then I think, I all right, then they're going to roll in Washington, and then they don't. So now I'm down on them again. So what are they going to do? They're going to beat the uh, Raptors tonight. Okay, but the whole win one, lose one thing, that just makes them 6-6 six and six in the last 12. They need a streak. And they're playing teams that are in the East that aren't as good in the West. They, they and they've do got, need a streak. They've got bad records. You know, Washington, even with that win, they're 15-25. and 25. It's like you say, they don't win that often. They're 10 games under. And the Raptors are six games under. And talk about a team that's got a bad, a bad deal. They, they, they're playing the whole year on the road. I mean, they're playing in Tampa for their home games. There have been rumors about Lowry getting traded, the trade deadline looming. They're on a six-game losing streak. I mean, win the game. <laughs> right, win the game. Uh, but you can't win get a game. winning streak until you win tonight. That's true. Right. So, uh, I mean, I, I want them to have a winning streak, and that, that's, that's necessary. Uh, you know, I want to see them go 8 out of 10 here, and I want to see it soon because once you do that – then you've just reestablished, and then you're good to go. And then at that point, too, if you win 8 out of 10, well, that puts us into April, and the light at the end of the tunnel is there. We can see it at that point. It's time to, to, to gear up. LeBron's already said that. LeBron's made that statement. What do you make it coming out of the All-Star break? Now's the time to get going, right? This is, we're in the second half, and this, this is the time of year when you start building up some momentum, and the Lakers have done that, and they've done that without a very good player. So, my gosh, they're the team to beat, they're, in my mind. It's that, that deal is sealed. They're the team to beat, simple as that. And whoever beats them is going to win the title, whether it's in the conference or it's in the finals. And if nobody beats them, well, then obviously they're winning the NBA title again, or he's winning it again. Not so much the Lakers. It's not. I realize the Lakers would get it, but it's more about LeBron for me. It's like LeBron is winning again. He just happens to be wearing the Laker jersey this time as opposed to the other two jerseys when he won it the other times. That's sort of the way I view LeBron's tenure with the Lakers. I know Laker fans and Larry the Laker want to claim another Laker title, but I, I, it's like to me it's LeBron. He just happens to be wearing your jersey this time. And so good for you, but it's more about this dude because that's how awesome he is. But the Jazz need to reestablish themselves. There's no doubt about it. They absolutely do it. They absolutely need to do it. And, yeah, I want a winning streak too, but you got to start tonight, man. Tonight, I don't want to go crazy because we asked Joe 
on Wednesday. Did you feel that way with Boston? And he admitted it. He sort of did. Well, now I feel it again. I feel it again here. The same feeling I had going into the Boston game, I feel tonight going into Toronto game. The difference being I don't view Toronto, obviously, as better as uh, as Boston, so you ought to be able to get this win. Get the freaking win. Simple as that. It's tonight. It's 6 o'clock, and the pregame is at 5. It'll be on 97.5 The Zone. You can hear the NCAA tournament on 1280 The Zone, including Scotty G. On the call at 11.45 today. His pregame show starts at 11.15 on 1280 The Zone. With 11th-ranked Utah State taking on 6th-ranked Texas Tech. Everything we've been talking about this show, next. Stay with us. March Madness is here, and now it's time to put that college basketball knowledge to the test. It's the Zone Bracket Challenge, where you can compete against the Zone hosts as well as Zone listeners. Oh my goodness! Log on now to 1280zonebracket.com to fill out your bracket for a chance to win a Nordic Track X22i bike. Valued at over $2,000 as well as other great prices. It's the Zone Bracket Challenge, going on now at 1280zonebracket.com. Presented by the store, SNS Roofing, Bullfrog Spas, and Elite Works. Muscling in up top, Campbell down three. Aggressive drive, head fake, bounce pass, Hawkins, head fake, shot good and a foul! And Hawkins back to the line! He can tie the game! Campbell goes with him over top. Leave up high for Aaron Henry. Henry spin move in the lane, floater right hand is good. Controlled by Bernard. Feeds the driver, Riley to the rim, and he jams! Vantage strides, soar and dunk it home! Highlights from last night's action in the NBA and the NCAA tournament. That was Javier Jaquez there. Went for 27 points and had a huge three-point play to get the game to overtime. The toughest free throw, PK. The free throw you shoot when you're down one. I mean, it's hard to shoot free throws in a tie game or when you're up one or two and you got to put the game away. But down one, ugh, enormous free throw. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. But he got it in, they got to overtime, and they won there. Not a perfect game from UCLA, and they're down 11 at the half. They're actually down more than that in the first half. And they still found a way to win. So a team that I don't think will beat itself, but they aren't the biggest UCLA team. They aren't the fastest, the quickest, the most talented. But if you make stupid mistakes, they will beat you. If you play poised and play well, BYU, you definitely have a chance to win this. You're actually going in as a slight favorite in this game, three and a half points. Yeah, I think the the fastest UCLA team was 95 with Rod Foster. Why are you doing that? No, actually, Ty Sedney. I always get Ty Sedney. Yeah, Foster Foster was in the on the 81 team. What are you doing? (laughs) Well, he was also on the 80 team. Rocket Rod. There you go, Rocket Rod. Uh, the uh, question is up on our Facebook page. Uh, who's going to win that game? Is BYU going to the round of 32 for the first time since Jimmer? It's been a decade, PK. It has, yeah. yeah. It's been 20 years since Utah State won a tournament game and got to the round of 32. They've got a shot against Texas Tech. That game's coming up at 11.45 this morning. Scotty G's got the call, 11.15 for the pregame. So less than two hours to the pregame now. And one thing to watch for with the Aggies. Oh, well, there's a lot of things. Uh, but uh, keep Kate out of foul trouble. And how does... How does Texas Tech defend Kata? You know, how many guys do they bring to him? I don't think they'll just allow him to go single coverage throughout the course of the game, maybe at the start, see how he handles it. And if he's on, then they bring 
coverage coming monster and all those basketball terms that you can read up on if you don't know what they are. But then he throws it back out, cross court, uh, you know, wherever it is on the floor who's open. And then what do those guys do with the ball? You know, are they able to attack the basket because there might be a lane or do they hit their threes? We got college basketball. The other thing is the coaching carousel has started. New Mexico has Richard Patino, the former Minnesota coach, son of Rick, and he says he wants to bring back the magic to New Mexico. So I guess he wants to uh, make the uh, recreate the second most famous uh, escalator descent in history. We saw the second one, Richie McKay, after winning the conference tournament at the Marriott in Denver. Down the escalator to wild applause oh, from the Loba you. fans. Bring back the obviously Donald Trump on his way to the presidency is now the most famous escalator ride. But Richie McKay and the whole room bursting out in applause and you looking up from the nachos to smirk at everyone in the table. I knew what you were thinking. That was hilarious. Those New Mexico fans are really rabid. They want it so, so bad. He got a huge round of applause and he's waving on the escalator and we're sitting in the back of this huge dining area. <laughs> Yeah, the downtown Marriott yeah. in, in Denver. <laughs> and uh, you're giggling man. like this is New Mexico at its finest. I'd forgotten about that, but I, now you recall, you said that. I recalled it <laughs> yeah. uh, as uh, we were there for that moment. Yeah, Rich McKay, now at Liberty. Well, I got to know him very well uh, uh, during his time. Uh, he used to call me with stuff, and it's long-ago stories now, so they don't really matter. Uh, but he gave me uh, information, uh, you know, because there's the the – uh, hierarchy of the uh, Mountain West beat writers was Andy Katz, overwhelmingly number one. And I was <laughs> glad to see he was on uh, TNT last night. I didn't know he was going to do that. But the, and then you had Natalie, who was number two, and that was a huge gap. You know, that's like naming the best uh, British invasion. Uh, <laughs> bands. You got the Beatles, the Beatles and the Stones. Stones. And then number three, yeah, there's like a, you know, there's a, a long way to the bronze yet. medal. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a commercial break while we wait for the uh, the marathon to finish here. Yeah. And then there was me. You know, I through duration and the fact that I covered the best team for so many years, I got in there. So, and let's just say that to the coach of the best team, didn't have a lot of friends in the conference. <laughs> so there's some negative story with recruiting or whatever, which is we're sure to pass it along and stir the pot. Yeah. So I go into this gym, and it's a down period. I'm not even supposed to be in the gym, but I open the door, and who's in there giving a guy a workout? <laughs> Everybody's cheating. Everybody, have at it. So you're reporting yourself to have me crack on another person, but you know, let's do our. Sometimes you trade pawns. That's the way in the game of chess. You got to trade pawns. This is, I don't know what else to tell you. Well, he was working them so out. As, as long as we're going with the hierarchy of Mountain West conference riders, funniest press box Mountain West uh, conference rider. I'll give you the line. You give me the rider. You ready? Yeah, I know where you're going. You do? Yeah, okay, yeah. let's hear it. Then what is it? Uh, Mark Anderson. Yes! yes. So that's what this place looks like full. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> well, BYU was in the first uh, Vegas Bowl that Bronco brought them in. Uh, Mark that Cal? Anderson. It was Cal. Yeah. yeah. 
where a couple of prolific musicians, myself and the lead singer from uh, the Counting Crows, rode the elevator up together, Adam Duritz. And <laughs> we just both looked at each other. We both knew we had it going on. He and I, he and I were alone. He's a big Cal fan. And he, uh, he and I were alone in the elevator. I don't know how that happened, but never the two of us were in the elevator alone, uh, riding up uh, to the press box level. And there was some great moments. You know, David Hasselhoff walking through that press box with his entourage and his posse. And I was in awe because Hasselhoff was singing the national anthem that, that game. And he walked through. Man, you knew you were in uh, royalty position of just being in royalty and then and another time i was at the hotel and i was on an elevator with sinbad all right sinbad yeah what is sinbad up to he should be doing a show that streams somewhere shouldn't he at the time he was doing a show at the orleans i think and uh so you can always get those. He's uh, ready for a comeback. Come on, Sinbad. Celebrity encounters in Vegas. And there were other great moments. I mean, all those BYU fans are counted. How many BYU fans in, in complete regalia smoking? Was it 21? Yeah, I'm not clear. Honestly, I'm not clear on the number right now. <laughs> Yak hasn't played the drop enough. <laughs> yeah, so that was... Uh, 24 was maybe? Was it two dozen? They were all outside smoking. And full. Full BYU <laughs> regalia. I was at six different uh, Las Vegas Bowls, okay? Uh-huh. And in 2009, I was at the uh, – the, I went out at halftime during the, 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 the game there. And there were – I counted exactly 24 fans in full BYU regalia out smoking cigarettes. <laughs> Let me just say – I have lived here uh, and worked here now for, uh, what is it, uh, 28, soon to be 29 years. That is the only time I've ever heard the phrase, full BYU regalia. (laughs) Well, two things come to mind on that. Always a couple with you. (laughs) What the heck were you going outside for? A person 25. Yeah, unfiltered. I was say, is yeah. he <laughs> unfiltered? Marlboro. No, 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 he's he's the cigar guy. He's the, oh, he's cigar guy. Nice call, Yak. So well done. Why was he going outside? And I would venture to say, in the history of BYU sports, there has not been an aggregate number of twenty-four people who smoked and were BYU fans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would argue with on that unless one. they were doing the wacky tobacco. And at the time, the wacky tobacco was not legal. Now it's no big deal. You can see that. Uh, but at the time, come on. Well, okay, BYU fans in f- smoking in full public view. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Sing it. <laughs> All right, last UNLV thing here as we uh, get off on our Mountain West Conference rant. Iowa State hired UNLV coach T.J. Otzelberger to be their new coach, 29-30 and 30 in two seasons in Vegas. And I wondered, what has he accomplished to get that job? Well, the important fact is he was an assistant coach twice in Ames. His wife's also a three-time All-American in Iowa. She was a basketball player because Vegas was speculating. I, I look at the Vegas uh, Review Journal from time to time, and they were speculating – uh, a 
week or so ago that this was going to happen because yeah. I, you know Iowa State sucked, and so it was going to happen that the code they were going to make a coaching change, and they were talking about how this is likely going to happen. And I saw that his wife was they mentioned it in there that was a big time basketball player, yep, three time All American. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now that you say that, I remember reading that. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. She obviously was a very good basketball player there. And so Vegas, you know, it's interesting because you, you got some Mountain West programs that are pretty doggone good. And it's clear Fisher and Dutcher at uh, San Diego State, they're, I think we can say they're the premier basketball program, right? And Craig Smith has got it going on in Logan. And Colorado State has been resurrected to an extent. We'll see what Alford can do there at Nevada, but it looks like he's on the right track. And Boise is usually halfway decent. They won their NIT game. Uh, I think they beat SMU last night by a point. 85 uh, to 84. And, and they, were, they were close to being in the NCAA tournament. But then you have Vegas and New Mexico who desperately, desperately want to get there and just can't seem to do it. And they've got some history and some tradition. They both have had really good fan bases. Oh, for sure, yeah. Mexico's fan base, don't underestimate it, man. It's awesome. Unless it's changed. Now, I haven't been there in a few years. I used to go every year, obviously, back in the day. It's the only game in town, though. And it was a big, big deal. I'm telling you, they would get recruits, uh, and they'd send the TV sportscasters at the airport to interview them, and they were just on a recruiting visit. That's how big of a deal. And on Sunday nights, I'm, it hurts, hurts to talk about Sunday night shows, but uh, they would have multiple, during the basketball season, Lobo shows on Sunday nights. So at 10.30, they'd have different stations, each have their own Lobo show, talking about New Mexico basketball. So it is literally the only show in town. And it's going to be so hard for them to be big-time football just on sheer numbers. So it will be interesting if little Ricky can bring back the magic and whoever the next Vegas coach is, if he can bring back the magic. They've got a, uh, a list of 13 potential uh, coaches. Uh, some of them seem like a big reach. Rick Pitino, yeah. Ben Howland, who's at Mississippi State. Mm. Okay, who else? Joe Pasternak, who's been. Are you talking about winning, Vegas? UCLA. Yeah, this is this is in the this is on Nevada Sportsnet. Okay. Uh, you know who might get the UNLV job? Uh, Russell Turner, the UC Irvine coach, who's been uh, there for not quite a decade, but almost. Um, he's been linked to the UNLV job before, and then seemed not interested. He's done a lot of winning at UC Irvine. I think they've been in a. Conference tournament final five times in seven years. They're usually first or second in the league. Yeah, they're good. Yeah. yeah. Stacy Ogman. Ogman was on Dave Rice's staff when they all got fired. Yeah. Lorenzo Romar. Lorenzo Romar, yeah. That He's at Pepperdine now after a long run at Washington. Oh, uh, yeah. And then he was an uh, interim uh, coach for a couple games when Sean Miller couldn't coach down at Arizona. I spent four hours, five hours with Lorenzo Romar once, uh, driving, flying to the Final Four, and the, the watchdog had sent me down to go to uh, Andre Miller, do a big A1 piece on Andre Miller. I was at his house down there in Compton. And so I flew to San Antonio from L.A. Well, we, interestingly enough, we go to Salt Lake. But the guy sitting next to me in the middle seat was Lorenzo Romar. Mm. 
and uh, we struck up a conversation pretty much the entire flight. He's a good dude. Tommy Lloyd, longtime Gonzaga assistant. Will he ever leave Spokane? Yeah, that is interesting. Will he ever leave Spokane? I mean, he has been uh, Gonzaga's right-hand guy, and he's a celebrity in his own right up there for sure. Uh, Porter Moser, Loyola Chicago's longtime coach. Well, that's just, well, he's a hot guy who, that's like Majerus got listed for every job offer because surely our place is bigger than your place, so he's going to be interested. Some of the places that would list Majerus and some media guy from Pittsburgh or wherever would call me. And the, the most famous one was Rick Buecher on a Saturday night. He's taking the Warrior job. I know he is. I'm going with it. It's like 11 o'clock our time. I'm working a desk shift at the Watchdog down on Main Street. I'm going with it, man. I'm going with it. It's 10 o'clock over in California. And I'm like, okay, Rick, you, you do it, man. You do it, man. You go with it. But let me just tell you, Samuel State had a press release written that he was going to take that job. I mean, they had the press release written and were ready to issue it when he changed his mind if you believe. But I know they had a press release written. So I told Rick, I said, you go with it. Meanwhile, I'm going to uh, put the agate page here to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Moser, funny enough, is a guy who worked for Majera, so yeah, nice connection there. But there's no connection to UCLA yeah, or to, no, to UNLV. Yeah, to UNLV. Yeah. He's so, just he's but, a name. But, yeah, why would you stay at in this small school in Chicago that is more known for none than it is for you? and uh, you're going to come to UNLV. Maybe he will. Maybe he'll be the guy. But it just seems like that man's name gets mentioned for every freaking job opening. Two more UNLV openings that uh, will resonate here in the old beehive state at opposite ends of the state. One is Todd Simon in this list of 13 that Northern Nevada Sportsnet has uh, put out. He was UNLV's interim coach after Dave Rice was fired, the former Correct. BYU assistant. He got the head job at Southern Utah. They went 6-27 and year one, 19-3 year two. It says he's done an admirable job there, but if UNLV hires Simon as his head coach, he's been mentioned as a candidate, something's gone very wrong. And that bugs me. That just want really bugs me. Bigger with yeah. more sizzle. Yeah, how do we know Todd Simon is not one hell of a coach and whatever level he goes, he can win big. And it's like we're just – we're – uh, creating a, a a profile, not a racial profile, but a, a coaching profile, and because he's not deemed as big enough, he's not a big enough name. Well, I was never a friggin' big enough <laughs> name, and all I wanted was a shot. I knew I could do the job, and just give me a shot, man. That's what I wanted, and I think I proved that I can do the job. And I feel for guys like Todd Simon. That this, oh, he's, his, his position or his school isn't big enough. How about the job he did rather than the size of the school? You know, because he's competing on an, on an even level. And you can argue in, where he's competing, it's not on an even level because he's out in the middle of nowhere in Cedar City. And not that the big sky places are in glamorous big-time locations. I mean, Ogden is one of the biggest ones, which has always put the pressure on the uh, Weber State coaches because the, alum, the passionate fan base believes, hey, we're in a metro area. We're not out in eastern Washington or wherever. So it just bothers me that uh, somebody would say that the, the search at Vegas has gone wrong if they hire Todd Simon. How do we know that he's not freaking John Wooden? 
And the last name, which will resonate at the other end of the state, uh, Tim Miles. It says here, Miles seems like he should be in the mix for any open Mountain West job, considering he built Colorado State from 0-16 in the conference his first season to the NCAA tournament in his fifth. He then left for Nebraska, where he went 116 and 114. Miles is a good program builder and marketer, but he's never finished top three in a Division I conference. Now, we don't know how things are going to play out here with Utah State, but if they don't make it to the Sweet 16, and if Craig Smith does go to Minnesota next Tuesday or Wednesday, I think Miles' name goes right to the top of the list. And, you know, there can be a list, but At Miles, Utah State you're speaking of? Yeah, because, yes, yeah, I think so. Miles, well, Miles gave uh, Craig Smith his start. Exactly. They were together at uh, CSU, and they may have been together before that at another school, but I know they were together at CSU. Scotty would know that backstory better than, better than I do. Uh, but I know they were together there, and they have a bond there, and Miles hasn't coached since he left Nebraska. So he's, not, no. he's available for any of these gigs. I think he's done some TV work. But uh, given how tight he and Craig are and given his success in the conference – I mean, you gotta you got to look at him right away at Utah State. On the okay. other hand, if that thing isn't happening and uh, UNLV wants him, I mean, that 13 names, the Nevada Sportsnet here is throwing a lot of stuff against the wall. But it's interesting because so many of these coaches, one way or another, you know, they're, they're mostly coming from the West, and they mostly, you know, they cross paths in this state one way or another. How about Kristobiak? Uh, that'd be a possibility. They don't have him on the list. They do have Archie Miller out, who uh, is just out in Indiana. Yeah. So he's only been out of well. Patino was the younger Patino was unemployed for a day. Yeah, right. That was all lined up. He knew he was done at Minnesota, and there's a lot of people who think Craig's all lined up at Minnesota. So we'll see how that plays out. I mean, I have no idea what Larry wants to do, but I'm not going to just label him as a failure as a coach forever by any stretch. He's young enough to get another job, and he did take the youths to the Sweet 16, and that's going to appeal right. to people. And lots of coaches get fired and then get yeah. another job. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, in yeah. some careers, you get fired. It's this huge black mark on your resume. But in coaching, it's kind of like that didn't work for one reason or another there, but it doesn't mean it can't work here. How many times was right. Pete Carroll fired before he went to USC and took over the world before he went to Seattle and won a Super Bowl? Obviously, and Bill Belichick, too. Yeah. I mean, and then David James Nickeldorf III, you've been fired in television. Uh, can you go to the GM's office and uh, <clears throat> bring your security card with you? Well, believe me, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your feedback coming up next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Yach has good news. Yach, tell the people. Well, we got two pieces of good news. Uh, website is back up and running, so that's good news. 1280thezone.com, all of our show audio, uh, interviews, all that stuff will all be there. You also can find it on the podcasting apps you've been using for the last few months as well. But in addition to that... Had some technical snafus with the open mic feature, but we do have it fixed now. So if you want to start submitting your audio again, happy to play it on there. What do the people have to say about today's show? We got about 300 votes each predicting the NCAA tournament games. Two thirds of you, 67.7%. Is BYU going to beat UCLA and go to the round of 32 for the first time since Jimmer? Yep, 67.7%. People are on board, PK. Bruins and ruins. Cougars to the round of 32. (laughs) Okay, that'd be awesome. Who will win? Aggies or Red Raiders? Utah State getting 53.7% of the vote. That's 360 votes in. you got a couple hours left. Cast your votes there at uh, David DJ James on Twitter. 
As far as the Jazz, we're getting a lot of feedback here. The Jazz lose to the Washington Wizards 131 to 122. Reaction pouring in. Brad says it's what the Jazz do. Get the hopes up and then dash them. Brother. Uh, Jeremy says, I think that I won the overbet I placed on that game. I also think the defense is uh, more effort than skill, especially when you have the best defensive player on the planet on your team. The Jazz are playing uninspired ball right now. If I had to go with one sentence and all the comments here, I think I would circle that last one from Jeremy. The Jazz are playing uninspired ball right now. I don't think that can be debated. I think that is a slam dunk. All right, well, let's get inspired now. Clint, the more Donovan Mitchell dribbles, the worse his field goal percentage gets. The ISO O isn't working. Further, his usage rate is a career high, while his defensive rating is a career low. It all starts and stops with him. The Jazz go as far as he does. Putting a lot on Donovan. I don't think he's the only guy struggling right now. Okay, but he had over 30, didn't he? He scored it in the second half. I think he finished with 42. So if they go as far as he goes, he's, they scored, he scored 42. They would be going very far. I agree. And that 122 points they scored on a night when Rui missed way too many free throws, on a night when Clarkson and Bogdanovich were a combined uh, what, 2 of 23, I think, uh, or 4 of 23, they, you know, there were a lot of offensive issues, and they still scored 122 points. 122 points ought to win an NBA game. The problem isn't at the offensive end, and they can get better, and certainly the turnovers and their poor transition defense off the rebounds you know, led to some of the defensive problems, but the problem is that 131 number. They're 2-6 and six now when they give up 120 points or more. That means they're 27-5 and five if the whole team's under 120 points. Play some decent defense, 120 points, 30 per quarter. Man, if your whole team's under that, which shouldn't be that big a deal, you're a very good team. I'm going to go on a fast now to free Urson. How long do you think you could go? Lunch. <laughs> Give it two hours. Early lunch, 90 minutes. Yeah, i got to have a little food before the Aggies tip at 11.45. And it, it always amazes me, too. I go by uh, uh, in and out at like a quarter to 11, and the line is deep. Man, it's too That early. is so funny you say that. <laughs> I did that yesterday after the show. I had to go down to the, you know, there's one in the Fort Union area, and I was like, okay. they are already lining up. And it was. It was between 10.30 and 10.45 in the morning. And I've been by there like at, you know, noon. Well, then it's just going to be, you know, looping around the building. Yeah, it's just too early to get in the burger line. That's my opinion. I mean, you can argue. But, I mean, you were in my hood and you didn't even stop by to say hello. Yeah, I need to. I got something for you, too. I keep forgetting. I got no memory. I've got stuff for you, too, PK, so we both need to make a visit. (laughs) A pilgrimage, if you will. I'll take what Yak has to give me. What DJ's got to give me isn't good. That's uh, probably true. I know it is. No, it's exactly. not what you, but it's not what you think it is. But it's still not anything you're going to go, oh, wow. <laughs> All right. Have a good weekend. We will talk to you to Monday morning, 6 to 10. Now, we do have the split coming up here. The Aggie game, if you want to hear it, is going to be on 1280 The Zone. Our regular programming will be on 97.5 The Zone. Game at 11.45, pregame at 11.15 with Scotty G. Jazz at 6 tonight with the pregame at 5 o'clock with David Locke. And you're going to hear the NCAA tournament all weekend on 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.